This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, your Ohio State coverage team. We are here to preview Penn State. We have been previewing every game on the Ohio State 2020 schedule. This is the seventh opponent of the season and probably the toughest. If, if, if not the toughest, the second toughest, we are going to have a lengthy, in-depth, awesome, I thought, conversation with Bob Flounders, who covers Penn State for PennLive.com. Um, Bob and I go way back. He's the guy I always tell the story who drove me home when I got drunk on my 21st birthday when I was interning at his newspaper back in the day. So it's always good to hear from Flounders, and we really dig in on offense, defense, Sean Clifford, Micah Parsons, James Franklin, which way is Penn State trending, the whiteout, everything you want to know about Penn State. But Stephen, Nathan, and I are going to talk about Penn State in the Ohio State context. And um, I don't know. I think they're really quite interesting. As you guys look at this, I can't remember, and I, I want to do this still on the Friday pod and maybe this week is like have us mark down everything we officially think about Ohio State football. As we sit here right now, Stephen, how how difficult are you anticipating that this week seven trip to Penn State will be for Ohio State? Are you anticipating a fight to the final minute of the game? Or do you think, you know what, you know, like Ohio State's a national title contender. Penn State's probably not that, you know, Ohio State should kind of be able to take care of business. No, I, I think it might be a little bit of a game just because when you look at the past seasons, especially 2019, where, I mean, both sides of the ball, that was probably the best Ohio State football team in years, and yet still Penn State kind of hung around and was a thorn in their side. And so you add in the fact that this game is in Beaver Stadium and not in Ohio Stadium, and it's the second of two straight away games for Ohio State. I think this is probably – I don't want to say their biggest test is way too early to say something like that, but I do think this is going to be a lot more competitive than just when you look at one paper of one team has a Heisman finalist and probably a chance at a national championship and the other team doesn't. I still think this will be a pretty close game similar to what we've seen the last three or four years here. The recent history in this series is nuts. Nathan, what are you kind of anticipating? I mean, depending on what happens October 3rd when Penn State has to go at Michigan, I mean, this could be two undefeated teams playing. I mean, this seem, this, this sets up as a, as a, as a game day kind of game, I think, this season. Um, I would expect Penn State, based on everything that we're hearing about them, um, and the national expectations right now, I think they're going to come into the season really highly ranked. We know Ohio State will. We know, especially with, with, um, you know, some of the injuries that the Clemson's dealt with, I guess the one big one with Justin Ross. I mean, I, I think there's an opportunity for Ohio State to open the season number one overall. And 
assuming both those teams went out, you could be talking about a one versus, I don't know, three, four, five kind of matchup for this game. I think it's going to be a huge game this season. Is it safe to say that we can consider this might be a night game just based on everything Nathan just said? I think it's a fair assumption. We don't know for sure, but they sure do love the white out there. Um, and it's such a massive and just that, that ABC or Fox or whomever could get this game and, and slap it up in prime time. Um, seems logical to me. I'm sure Penn State would like it at night, right? I think I think that helps their edge. It's a tough place to play, but it feels more like you're, you know, a gladiator going into the den as a visiting team when it's at night. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I'm sort of anticipating that that game will be at night like forever. Um as long as they're both good, right? I would assume so. And I, and this is – there are two games on this schedule. Well, I guess three. I guess the, the Oregon game too. But really only three games on this schedule where I think that the distancing guidelines at the time of kickoff and at the time that they're seating people for that game could make a difference. Like how many people they can put in the stadium and in what configuration they get put into the stadium. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the whiteout. If they can't have a full whiteout at Penn State, that's obviously in Ohio State's favor. And if Ohio State can't maybe have um, the, the, the crowd that it wants for the Michigan game, maybe that helps Wolverines. I don't know. But, but certainly going into Penn State without a full whiteout night game experience if that's compromised in some way i think that's beneficial to whatever team's going in there i think it's most beneficial to ohio state that type of atmosphere i mean you look at last season michigan had to call a timeout the first play of the game because nobody could hear night game whiteout situation so if there's any game in ohio state schedule where social distancing maybe is a lack of a benefit to the home team it's the penn state ohio state game we said many times before, I don't think in those types of games, Ohio State's home field advantage is, I don't think it's at the top of the Big Ten or anything. I do think for Ohio State specifically, the two toughest places are Penn State and Wisconsin. Because the team is good, but because there is a tangible effect. That the stadium, I think, does something to you as a visiting team. And when you're as good as Ohio State, those fans are at peak craziness, peak enthusiasm. So that is a real test. That is a real test going in there. And all you have to do is look, again, 2018, one-point win for Ohio State. The crazy comeback, Dwayne Haskins starts throwing screens in the fourth quarter. Ohio State pulls it out. 2016, Penn State wins. 2014 is the overtime win. JT Barrett toughs it out. Joey Bosa throws the running back into the quarterback to end the game in overtime. I mean, that's, that's what it has been in Happy Valley for Ohio State in recent years. We want to get a couple questions that I've been saving. And for the texters, we have not gone to you recently to get new questions because we have such a backlog. I have a list, a list, a list, and I'm working my way through the list. I think we're going to do rapid fire again on Thursday. And I've been trying to save questions and then fit them in where appropriate. From the 734, this is kind of like an obvious question, but I still kind of like the discussion around something like this. From the 734, is Ohio State-Penn State a rivalry? Where do you guys stand on this? Steven, is this game a rivalry? Is this matchup a rivalry? No, I don't know. Just because, you know, when I think of rivalry, I think of things like Ohio State-Michigan, Auburn, and Alabama. And maybe this is a, a even a stretch of a, you know, a comparison for what this is. But maybe back when Urban Meyer was at Florida and him and Nick Saban would go at it, Alabama-Florida games, where they're not technically rivals, but they're always in each other's way 
for where they want to go. And sometimes Penn State has, you know, been a, a thorn in Ohio State's side. And, but most of the times, you know, Ohio State's been able to get the better of them. But it's always close. And it maybe the game is competitive the way a rivalry should be. But they're not – I wouldn't consider it to be a rivalry. I would just consider it to be two of – the two best teams maybe in their conference who, you know, always seem to play a competitive game, similar to what, you know, Florida and Alabama were in the 2000s. What do you think, Nathan? I do think it does cross the rivalry threshold for me, for, for whatever that, that line is. And I guess the, the difference I see is you mentioned uh, last week in, in, in one of our – some context about how Purdue has the best record against Ohio State over the past X number of years or, and how weird that was. I, I don't think anybody really considers Ohio State – Purdue a real rivalry it's a big 10 rivalry there's history there but it's not a live rivalry it's not hot right now but with Penn State and I would say I mean obviously Michigan that's a different level of rivalry but Penn State and then if you go back just for years I think Michigan State even qualifies to some extent when you think that you could play well as a team relatively well as a team and still lose to that team and it has significant consequences on your season like you have some some trepidation about that game in a way. I think that counts as a rivalry, especially when it's a team you're going to see every year. You will play them, and you have to go to their place every two years and play. The environment becomes a, a factor. I think this definitely crosses a threshold of a rivalry. In the same way that I think if um, if if Maryland gets really good and Maryland starts being like what Penn State is and like trying to push its way up there to the to the top of the big 10 East and, and is knocking on the door of that, like second, third tier down uh, in, in the nation. I don't see that happening very soon, but I'm saying if it did, I think then Maryland starts to become a rival of Ohio States. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe there's a difference between kind of a temporary rivalry and then the kind of rivalry you talk about with Michigan. I just don't think we can, you can't compare every rivalry to the Michigan rivalry because that's almost something that it's just kind of mythical, right? It, it's like legendary. I think a rivalry, there are two things that go into it. One is being competitive on the field, and the other is sort of like the buildup and the interest in the game beforehand. And as you pointed out, Nathan, I couldn't remember if I had gone through this list on the podcast or not, but I must have because I sent it out to the text drivers a while ago. But again, the idea that the most competitive team in the Big Ten with Ohio State in recent years is Purdue. Purdue is 4-5 and five against Ohio State in the last nine games. They've beaten Ohio State four of the last time, last nine times. Nobody in the Big Ten has come close to that, but yet it's not a rivalry because every one of them was an upset. There's no buildup for Ohio State-Purdue, whereas on the other side, of course, Ohio State-Michigan Ohio State Michigan is a rivalry, but the rivalry at the moment is 15-1, to 1, 15 of the last 16. Penn State is the, is the only one that's kind of a, at least a little bit of both. Penn State is only has only won one of the last eight. So Ohio State against Penn State is seven and one in the last eight. Ohio State has won 14 of the last 18 against Penn State. So Ohio State's 14 and four. For Ohio State, that's competitive. That's the second most competitive that any Big Ten team has been with Ohio State other than Purdue. So there is buildup because both teams are usually ranked. They are good. The games have been really competitive and close. And, I mean, relatively speaking, Penn State's been competitive. So I think, and the other thing is, I think absolutely, and you'll hear Bob Flanders talk about this, 
And this is always a little bit, I almost think sometimes if this is the case, then maybe it's not a rivalry. I think Ohio State is certainly Penn State's rival. Because Penn State, they're probably, they're Penn State's biggest rival. Because Penn State doesn't have a Michigan. You know who Penn State plays in the last game of the year right now? Is it? It's either Maryland or Rutgers, right? Rutgers. Like, they used to do this Michigan State thing, but they they mixed that up a couple years ago. Penn State doesn't have anybody else. If Penn State's rival isn't Ohio State, it's nobody. So it's like, could this be, is this Ohio State's second rival? I would say it is, and I do think it's been competitive. But again, here we are talking about it's been competitive, but Ohio State's won seven of the last eight. But that's just the reality that we're dealing with of – how lopsided this has often been. So um, let's do this. Let's get to Bob, because I think Bob is really interesting and good. And I think a lot of you guys, when you listen to these season preview schedule podcasts, you're, you're excited to get this outside expertise. So he's Bob Flanders. Let's get to him now. Buckle up for an hour of this. You're going to learn a lot about Penn State. And then if you really just listen to the podcast, not for information, but just because you like to hear the three of us chat it up, we're coming back. We'll be back in an hour, and we'll do like the thing that we always do. So here comes Bob Flounders, and then Steve and Nathan and I will be back to give our take on the Penn State-Ohio State rivalry. This is the seventh game of the season for the Buckeyes, October 24th. Bob Flounders next on Buckeye Talk. So happy to be joined by Great friend of the pod, great friend of Doug Maurice, Bob Flounders <laughs> from PennLive.com, veteran beat writer for the Nittany Lions. Bob, always great to have you on Buckeye Talk. Doug, it's great, uh, it's great talking with you. I always enjoy uh, when we either hook up via the radio or radio shows or your podcast. I know you do them. Uh, you know, we're doing you're doing them like every day now, which I'm very impressed with, considering it's out of season, but. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you, and I also always enjoy uh, – I don't know if you're going to do it this year. I think you will. But the your your Big Ten preseason poll, I think, was a legit stroke of genius. It's always – I think I think readers of Big Ten football and viewers of Big Ten football look forward to it every year because it really, to me, it, sign- it really kind of kicks off, <clears throat> you know, the Big Ten football season in a lot of people's minds. And I'm always curious to see what people think, not only about – who are the best teams, but who are the best players? I think we're coming up on a decade of that. This might be year 10 of that. Yeah. Believe yeah, it or it's, not. It's, uh, and you, you were ahead of the curve on it. And uh, I think it's, it's something that, uh, that I think a lot of people look forward to. I know I enjoy doing it. I, I would imagine when you do it, Doug, I'm one of the first people to respond to you, if I can, with my, with my stuff. Because I look forward to you putting it together. I know it's a labor of love, but I always kind of use that as a good frame of reference when I'm kind of trying to think about who – should be where in the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. I think when I sit down, I sit down with my yellow legal pad and I start tallying things up and I say, let me see what Bobby Flo has to say first. <laughs> Let's count his old, ballot number one. Old, old school. I didn't have the guts to pick Minnesota first in the West last year. I picked them second. I think I actually picked Nebraska first. So that was a pretty, pretty bad faux pas. Yeah, I don't like this is not a podcast where we need to talk about all the things that I've predicted wrong over the years. But, uh, yeah, the poll is fun. That's a good reminder that I yes, because we're not having Big Ten media days in person. I can't forget to do the poll. Um, All right. We're going to dig in on the Nittany Lions. We are previewing every team on the Ohio State schedule. Penn State is up next. And I want to dive right into nitty gritty on the field stuff. And then at the end, we'll back off and do some big picture stuff. 
Bob, let's sure. start, start on the defensive side of the ball. I yeah. have been fascinated, and I think Ohio State fans probably have been as well, watching Micah Parsons from afar. Because this is a yes. guy who's from the Harrisburg area, in Penn State's backyard, but Ohio mm. State was very involved in his recruitment. Right. You know, things didn't work out there. Penn State winds up winning that recruiting battle. And it feels like from, again, from afar, that this guy has become a defining player of the Penn, modern Penn State era. This is a guy you look at NFL draft uh, predictions for 2021. People think this guy might be a top 10 NFL draft pick as a linebacker. How good is Micah Parsons? What kind of season do you expect from him in 2020? And how important has it been to Penn State that he decided to be a Nittany Lion? Boy, he is, uh, he is a, he's a pretty fascinating uh, guy, Doug, to, to be around, <clears throat> excuse me, to be around, to watch play. And you're right. You know, a lot of people forget that it Penn, he put, he kind of, he kind of put Penn State through the ringer a little bit during the recruiting process. Cause I think he committed early, then he decommitted it. And usually when you decommit, right, that's usually the end of the story. You're usually going to go <clears throat> someplace else. Um, and I know that Ohio State, for a while, we thought maybe he was going to go to Ohio State, but he circled back to Penn State, enrolled in uh, early January of 2018. Uh, a fascinating athlete. I've been on the beat, Doug, since 2002. That was uh, my first year. Uh, that Penn State team had a 2,000-yard running back in Larry Johnson. They had four players go in the first round of the two 2003 draft. It was it was Larry Johnson, wide receiver Bryant Johnson, Jimmy Kennedy, a defensive tackle, and Michael Haynes, a pass rusher. That that team that team was loaded. They took the the Ohio State team that won the national championship. Um, they played a war out in Columbus. It was a real tight defensive game, but Ohio State won it. Um, there's only one player I think athletically um, and just as what with all he can do on the field that really uh, can kind of come close to what Micah has done in only two years. And that's Saquon Barkley. And I've seen a lot of good players come through Penn state, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he is a phenomenal, a phenomenal athlete who can run and he can, uh, you know, he, there, there are players who time fast, Doug, and there are players who on the field are even faster and Micah's, Micah's game speed is as good as, you know, you know, his 40 time. He runs, you know, in the 4-4 somewhere. And it's, it's pretty legit. When he, when he got to Penn State, he had played defensive end at Harrisburg. He also, I think, played defensive end when he was at Central Dauphin. He played at two different schools in the Harrisburg area. And Penn State, originally, I think they had him in, in the middle. And then they finally moved him. You know, he's still in the box, but he's not, you know, in the middle of the field. You know, he's freed up. I don't think, you know, you know, he doesn't really, you know, the middle linebacker usually calls the defense, gets the front, gets the front four aligned, all that stuff. They've kind of freed Micah up to just kind of try and play fast, go find the football, run sideline to sideline. And I think the guy, I think he started one game as a true freshman because Koa Farmer was a senior and they were in a timeshare. He still led the team in tackles. <clears throat> and then uh, next uh, 2019, boy, every game, Doug, you could see him getting better and getting faster and just figuring it out, getting more comfortable. Um, when they played Ohio State, that 28-17 game, um, 
you know, you know, Ohio State was well, I thought was clearly the better team. Penn State's defense hung in there, but Micah, man, he made some plays in that game that had he not made those plays, I think Ohio State would have had a lot, you know, a couple more, a couple more scores. He is becoming better by the game. And that's, it's, you don't usually see that. He doesn't take plays off. He plays hard every snap. Um, he's got a, and James Franklin and Brent Pry, the defensive coordinators say, you know, he still hasn't really hit his ceiling yet and it's not close. And that sounds funny to say that because he was a consensus all American last year, but there are a couple levels to his game that he's getting better at. And when he can do those things the way that he can already do, you know, he's very good against the run. He can rush the passer. He could put his hand on the ground if Penn State will let him and almost rush like a defensive end. They're starting to move him around, you know, in the front seven. They'll put him in the A-gap. They'll line him up as a stand-up defensive end. They're gonna, they, he's very good on the blitz. He, he, the one thing he, ha, he, has done, he does not have an interception yet. He's had his hands on about six interceptions in the last year and a half. He's dropped them all. So uh, he's got a lot of good-natured ribbing from his teammates, but man, uh, he played very well against Ohio State. That Memphis game in, in the bowl game, I know Memphis's offense probably hadn't seen a defensive player quite like Micah, but he, you know, he, he just took that game over in the second half. They gave up a lot of yards, but they were good inside the red zone. And he turned the game around with one play. He forced the quarterback uh, into, it was a tip ball. I think they called it a fubble return. Uh, Garrett Taylor, caught it out of the air. They scored a touchdown. It, it turned a tight game Penn State's way. Micah had 14 tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, two pass breakups. He forced a touch. It was just – it was mesmerizing just watching him play. And when you ask about 2020, I just want – I just – for Micah, I just want the guy to be healthy uh, just because I want to see what the next level or, or the next thing Micah can do is. I, I, it would be nice to see him play – a full season. You said he, you know, a lot, a lot of teams look at him as a top 10 player. I think if he's healthy, I think he's probably a top five player just because of his versatility and, and whoever gets him can use him in so many different ways. I just, you know, he's, he's very enjoyable to watch. You would enjoy Micah trying to talk to him after games. He's very, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of enjoys the give and take. Uh, It's, he doesn't kind of just go through the motions when he's asking questions. He's, He's got a nice sense of humor. He's a sharp kid. He's funny. Uh, so, yeah, clearly this is going to be his last year at Penn State. I can't wait to see it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the Ohio State-Penn State game um, with Micah on the field. They're gonna, they lost a couple of linebackers, but they have some young linebackers who can really run as well. He is just, yeah, like I said, Saquon Barkley and he are the two most athletic players I've seen at Penn State. And I, you know, Mike is not done. You know, Saquon, Saquon spent three years at Penn State and did some great things, obviously, but I still think Micah is capable of more. I, I, you know, pound for pound, he might be the best defensive player in the country. It's hard for me to imagine a more talented player in the front seven anywhere in the country. Sounds a little bit sort of like what Ohio State faced in the Fiesta Bowl last year with Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, a right. guy who's a linebacker but is mm-hmm. all over the field, can do right. everything. You can line him up a million different ways. Right. Um, and for Ohio State fans, it's interesting. You know, Ohio State fans have certainly seen their share of great defensive players in recent times. But at Ohio State, it's often the defensive ends and the cornerbacks, right? Sure, and, yes. And, and as the game becomes even more and more and more of a passing game, it's like, okay, pass rush, 
defend the pass. That's where it's at. Right. And, right. you know, again, Ohio State, a guy like Ryan Shazier is a guy not that long ago at Ohio State who was all over the field as a linebacker. But again, mm-hmm. talking about the idea that maybe once right. upon a time, this guy could have been a Buckeye. Holy moly, you put that guy yeah. in the midst of right. this defense. Because Ohio State just right now doesn't quite have a linebacker who's that impactful. Baron Browning is a guy who's a five-star recruit that I think, as you described, the way Penn State uses Micah Parsons and kind of lets him roam and lets him go and took him out of the middle. I think Ohio State fans are hearing, boy, I hope that's what Baron Browning can do this year. But to me, it's interesting just to hear about in this day and age, a linebacker who can rack up tackles, who can change the game from that position. But this sounds like the kind of guy, right, that when – Justin Fields and this Ohio State offense faces Penn State in week seven, like this guy, you know, he can't maybe win a game all by himself, but he will absolutely change how Ohio State goes about its business. And this might be, I mean, you just said it. This is probably the the, the toughest defensive player that Ohio State's going to have to deal with this year. Like how, maybe I don't want to put words or take words out of your mouth. Like, can Micah Parsons not beat Ohio State by himself? But like <laughs> this game is going to be so huge, right? And we'll get into that right. later. Yeah. What it means to Ohio State's schedule. This guy is so good, he can he can almost win a game like that. Like, how do you imagine against yeah. a high flying Ohio State offense the kind of impact? And again, you mentioned last year what he did, the kind of impact Micah Parsons could have at home in 2020 against a team like the Buckeyes. Yeah, and you're I think you I agree with you. It really is. The game is really, you know, if you have defensive ends who can, who can, if you can get home with a great defensive end like Chase Young and not really have to blitz and you have elite cover corners like, you know, Ohio State does and they can just lock up some very good players. That's usually, that's usually game set and match, but there are some unique athletes at the quarterback position who, um, it's not enough to have great defensive ends and great corners because these guys, what they can do with their legs um, and with, with, you know, the RPO and, and design quarterback runs. And, you know, one of the first things James Franklin said after last year's game, that 28 to 17 game, which, you know, I, you know, in my opinion, I, I don't, you know, it wasn't as close as the final score. It was a game into the fourth quarter, but if Ohio state protects the football, in that game, they, they were close, I think, to running, running away uh, from Penn State, but they just, you know, they made a couple of mistakes and Penn State was able to, to kind of hang in there a little bit. But James Franklin said, you know, really the difference in the game was Justin Fields' ability to run. And we just couldn't, if you look back at some of the plays he made with his legs in that game, Penn State didn't really have an answer for him on some plays. And, and that was with Micah on the field. So Micah's value to the Penn state defense is, you know, is, you know, he, he, he is their best player. He is, he is, you know, one of the best players they've had at the position, but Justin Fields is such a talent that it's not, it might not be enough just to have Micah back there. And the reason I say that is Penn state, it has a kid that's going to be a sophomore linebacker this year, a five-star like Micah, his name is Brandon Smith. And uh, Micah has told me, and it's told the beat last year that Brandon Smith's going to be a better linebacker than he is. And he wasn't, I don't think he was just blowing smoke because I heard Matt Millen told me before 
the 2019 season, uh, just watching Brandon Smith, I think in the spring, he said he is a better pure linebacker than Micah is. And Micah can be an extraordinary talent, but, and the athleticism is off the charts, but in terms of pure linebacking, you know, uh, uh, you know, instincts and to go with athleticism. And this kid is 6'3", 240. He's about the same size as Micah. So what I'm saying is when Penn State and Ohio State play and Micah's healthy, I think they're going to have another linebacker on the field that is almost, almost as good as Micah. And that's going to be the Penn State is going is not is going to the first thing Penn State I think is going to do for that game is they're going to try and limit uh, Justin's ability to run the ball if that's possible because they know how much he hurt them last year. It's funny to think about Bob. I mean, just hearing you talk about this, I think probably I don't know. I guess I shouldn't just be realizing this. Maybe I should have known it on along. Right, the two best players in the Big Ten in 2020 are Justin Fields and Micah Parsons, and Correct. and they almost were at the opposite schools that we know Justin yeah, Fields was yeah. committed to Penn state. We right. know that Micah Parsons was dancing with Ohio state for a long time. And it's right. funny to think about probably the most fair thing is that each school got <laughs> one and we see uh, yeah. the impact that both have made um, this Penn state defense overall. So I know Micah Parsons like is the, the right. rest of it. When you, we talk about again, trying to deal with um an Ohio state kind of offense. And with the way you talk about Justin Fields, I, I to remind myself, uh, I went back and watched that Penn state game a couple weeks ago. And that was the last game because Justin Fields got hurt in the last right. two minutes Late of that game. game. Right. And then wasn't himself the rest of the year and wasn't right. as much of a run threat. And I wanted to remind myself, what's this guy like when he's healthy. And I think he did have five or six runs of like 12 yes. yards or more. And you could see, he really did just kill Penn State with his legs. But when we think about this Penn State defense as a whole, you mentioned the the talent potentially at linebacker. What's the rest of the defense look like? Is this a defense? And there are always, you know, Wisconsin's usually pretty good. Penn State's mm-hmm. pretty good. Michigan's pretty good. Um, that's how the best Big Ten teams play defense. They They know how to play defense in the Big Ten. How good will the Penn State defense be overall, you think, this season? I think, uh, I think this defense will be uh, faster than last year's. I think the front seven is going to be, especially the linebackers, but the, the DN group, too. The Yitor Gross Matos was a, a good player. Not a good player, a great player, two-time. First team, you know, all Big Ten player outside. He had a pretty good game, I thought, against Ohio State last year. It was his best game. Uh, second-round pick of the Carolina Panthers, left school early. But they have a couple guys that they really, really like that can be – can kind of hit the ground running at defensive end. Because Etor played as a true freshman in 2017. And as a, he was a fringe player. Then 2018, as a, as a sophomore, got, got into the starting lineup, and all of a sudden he just turned into this, this monster. And they have a couple players they think might be able to do that, just go from – you know, zero to 60, they've played a little bit, but, um, you know, they haven't, they haven't quite, you know, no one really knows about them. They return an all big 10 second, uh, uh, second team, all big 10 and in Shaka Tony, who's disruptive, but they really, really like uh, two defensive ends, Jason Owe, who, uh, you know, is actually faster than Micah Parsons at 260 pounds. He's beaten him in 40 yard dashes. He runs Etor was telling guys out at the out at the NFL scouting combine about that he was you know he plays in a room full of freaks and he's 
he's freaky, but there's other guys. Jason Elway's run sub 4-4, believe it or not, at 260. He is getting geared up, I think, to start. But they also have a guy named uh, Adisa Isaac, a second-year sophomore, who they think should be very good as well. They feel like they have three very good defensive ends. They're going to need them all uh, in big games. Uh, defensive tackle, they're fairly strong there. They have a, a third-year player, P.J. Mustafer, who I think could be a pretty dominant player inside. It's going to come down for Penn State to be able to consistently play well against, you know, some good teams. It's going to come down to how good is their secondary. Um, if you look at the last four or five games they played, beginning with the loss – at Minnesota, which is, I think, by the way, is how one of the reasons why Kirk Shiraka is at Penn State is because of how well his offense played against Penn State's defense in that upset. But they got gouged pretty good by by Minnesota, by Indiana. Um, even though even though Ohio State ran the ball, I thought very well on Penn State. They were also able to make some plays uh, through the air when they had to. And in the bowl game, they gave up over 400 yards. Their secondary just has to be better it's a it's it's a talented group Franklin has recruited well they're young their their best corner was hurt down the stretch last year and it really affected his play he played hurt but he didn't play well um they feel like when he was healthy he was one of the better corners um in in the Big Ten Tariq Castro Fields he's back but they have three second year uh corners who I think are probably going to all play and be kind of their first and second team corners and when they go to the nickel and dime, they'll be on the field. Um, they're good. One of them, by the way, uh, is the son of, I don't know if you remember, the Steelers had an, uh, an awesome linebacker named Joey Porter. His kid, Joey Porter Jr., is a corner at Penn State. And, and they really, they redshirted him. They like him. He's a long corner. The one thing Penn State hasn't had a lot of is they haven't had long corners who can run and they can also track the ball in the air. Uh Ohio State seems to have one or two of those guys every year. Even when they lose guys to the NFL, they bring guys in and they're ready to play that way. Penn State um, is not very, has not been very good at that. They, they're in position to make plays. They don't make them. Either they don't win the 50-50 ball or they drop the interception or there's a busted coverage. They got to get better at corner and safety. I think they can, but that's definitely, the, that's definitely probably going to be one of the positions uh, that you just wonder if Penn State can match up with Ohio State when Justin Fields wants to throw to one of those wideouts. And he's, I know he's got some really, really good players. I think one of them, was it Olave, made a big play, I think, in the fourth quarter uh, of the Penn State game last year that mm -hmm. kind of gave them, I think, their last touchdown. Can Penn State's corners match up with some of the better receivers in the Big Ten? Minnesota had two big receivers, the Bateman kid and Tyler Johnson, and they ate – uh, they just ate up Penn State's secondary and the RPOs. They couldn't handle them. And it's been having to deal with big receivers has been really a problem for Penn State. They have to get better at it. And I'll be curious to see if the young guys um, are ready to do that. And I'm curious to see if Tariq Castro Fields can take the next step. Because he, if he doesn't play better than he did last year, I think some, I think they're going to give up a lot of yards on the, uh, through the air again. It's a big, it's a, it's a big issue, I think, for Penn State as they go into this season. Bob, why is that? Because I think a lot of people, even again, outsiders, you saw Penn State last year get to 8-0, yeah. eight and, eight and oh, number four team in the country, go into Minnesota. Everybody wondered how good is Minnesota really, and you knew that they did have those two big receivers, and I think people had questions about the Penn State secondary the whole time, and then all that mm -hmm. came to pass. Yes, that was what changed right. that game. 
is there something happening in recruiting in the secondary? Is there something with the scheme? Is there something like what, what is it that Penn State um, seemingly is so good yeah. in so many areas, but maybe right. has this Achilles heel? And again, as we're talking about, that is not a spot to have an Achilles heel in the modern college football game that like your pass defense, <laughs> your secondary is not very good. Right. Is it, I don't even, is the, is the secondary coach a longtime guy that maybe isn't getting it done? Have they run through a bunch of different secondary coaches? Is it just the style of defense they play? What is there some underlying yeah. issue you think? Yeah, I, I do think it is. And I, I don't think is. <clears throat> excuse me. I, I know I, I kind of, said the corners really got to get their act together there. They, he's got talented players there. I think actually the bigger issue, if you really look at how James Frank, if there's been one position, he hasn't probably been able to identify and develop players. It hasn't really, it hasn't been, it's been safety at, at safety. You know, th- those are, those are also, um, uh, you know, key players on defense because most defenses are playing, you know, in some version of a nickel, the majority of the game against the spread, right? And so you're usually you usually have five defensive backs, you know, on the field a lot of the time, and a lot of times the third, the, the fifth defensive back is a safety, and they have not been able to to recruit and develop um, safeties at Penn State. They've had some kids they really like, but it hasn't worked out. And the reason the reason I know this is true is their last. Three or four defenses, if you look at who started at safety, they have been uh, players who have been switched over uh, from another position. Now, you know, last year their uh, their starting safeties were Lamont Wade, who was a Pennsylvania kid, and Garrett Taylor. They both began their careers as cornerbacks. So they had to move cornerbacks over to safety because the safeties they they recruited just did not just did not pan out. Troy Apke. Um, who I don't know if you remember at the combine a couple of years ago uh, ran like a four three and he caught the attention of Deion Sanders. He began his career at Penn State as a wide receiver. Nick Scott, who was a safety uh, on the 2018 team um, and started, was also a converted running back. So they they just have not been able to get safeties in that can play and then kind of get them comfortable they, they've kind of had to take players from other positions and put them at safety because they haven't really had a lot of success developing you know safeties this year you know if you look at their safety group it'll probably be Lamont Wade again and Jaquan Brisker Jaquan Brisker they had to reach into the JUCO ranks to get him just because they've been a little short uh, at the safety position they've also moved to corner Trent Gordon to safety to kind of cover up that area it's been an area that I think um, it's been, you know, they've been able to get get by 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 doing these player conversions, but it, it kind of covers up a bigger issue, and that's, you know, recruiting and developing, you know, four-star safeties and getting them to play early and play well. It just hasn't happened at Penn State, and that's been probably, I think, part of the problem in the secondary uh, also. Let's switch to the offensive side of the ball, Bob. You brought up yes. uh, Kurt Shiraka, um, the Minnesota offensive coordinator, who's now the Penn State offensive coordinator. It's interesting how this stuff happens. Chris Ash, who was such an instrumental part uh, of Ohio State's 2014 national championship as defensive coordinator, he caught Ohio State's eye when he was Wisconsin's defensive coordinator. And it was like, man, this guy really yeah. knows what he's doing. That's what, you know, you, you, you beat somebody or you give somebody a tough game and all of a sudden they want to come steal you and bring you in. We – 
for Ohio State this year, um, when we were previewing the Week Two Oregon game, yeah, we were talking about Joe Moorhead is now Oregon's offensive coordinator. Correct. Hey, yeah. Ohio State fans, you know, get ready because this is a guy who was really good at his job. Didn't work out as a head coach, but now he's back on yeah. Ohio State schedule for Oregon. How much in the end has Penn State missed Joe Moorhead since he left? We do know that that certainly Penn State's offense has mm-hmm. has you know been pretty good. Um, Kurt Chiraka coming in, like, is this? Have they really missed Joe Moorhead, or have they been fine? And how much of an influence do you feel like this new offensive coordinator is going to have on Penn State? I think it's a good question. I think they did. I think they absolutely missed Joe Moorhead. It's you know the thing about Ricky Ronnie, who was the guy that. James Franklin promoted from, you know, within to become the OC beginning in 2018. You know, he really hadn't ever been an offensive coordinator at a major program before he took the, he got that job at Penn state. Right. So that's a tough spot to kind of cut your teeth and to, to break in. And then you're facing some of the best defenses in the country. I just think that, I just think that, you know, you know, Kirk Chirac has been doing, been coaching offense for, you know, since 1990. He's coached literally every position. He's been an offense coordinator at a bunch of different spots. And it's very, it's just, it, I don't know how, re, I don't know, I don't know if it, you should expect a guy to be a real good offensive coordinator in the Big Ten when that's your first offensive coordinator position and you got to play the Ohio State defense or you got to scheme up against Don Brown in Michigan or you got to go up against Wisconsin or Michigan state. It's just a, it's a real tough way to break in. And I think, I think that maybe I, I feel like James kind of sensed that I think that, you know, Ricky will be a fine, you know, whether it's a head coach or somebody on the offensive side of the ball an analyst or not, he's going to be really good down the road, but to expect him to match wits and go head to t- head to head, you know, again, you know, this early in his career and have success when, you know, you got to win, you got to win 10 games to even have a shot at winning the Big Ten East, and you got to go through Ohio State and Michigan. It's real tough, and I think that this is a definitely an upgrade. And I think you know, it, it, you know, on paper you look at it, and Ricky Ronnie left to become the Old Dominion head coach. You know, you know, I think it was after the regular season. You know, he had said less than a year before that that he never really wanted to be a head coach. So you just wonder, you wonder how all that worked out. Maybe he did finally just say, you know what, I want to. I'm ready to be a head coach or maybe, maybe, you know, there was some kind of massaging going on there where James is probably looking to maybe upgrade at OC. I don't know what, you know, what the real truth is. I do know that Kirk Sharaka, I think is an impressive guy. And I just watching what his offense was able to do against Penn state early in that game, he made them look silly. And they pretty much said after the game, they just couldn't, they had no answer for defending his version of the RPO because the quarterback Tanner Morgan got the ball out so quick that, you know, it's, it's really, it's hard to defend that kind of RPO when the quarterback gets the ball out quick and accurately, because you're just taking, you're just taking advantage of mismatches. Either there's a mismatch, a numbers game in the run game, or there's a mismatch in the secondary. They don't have the passing play covered. So it it could be very, very tough uh, to defend him. And he, you know, the quarterback in that game was 18 for 20 in that game. And I think one of the passes that was incomplete, he, he might've thrown it away. He had a great game. And then they kind of took, 
their foot off the gas in the in the second half and Penn State was able to get back in it and had a chance to win it, but they just didn't play well offensively in that game either. They made too many mistakes. But I, I think, that, you know, for me, my one question about this offense is it's a talented, it's a very talented offense, you know, but no spring, right? And you have a new offensive coordinator and his version of, an you know, an RPO without actually having any time to really install it while, while coaching up the players, you know, how big will that be uh, at Penn State? Yeah, he's probably going to get a little bit more time when they restart it with the six-week thing, and that will help. But you can't really, you know, there's there's nothing better than repetition and some classroom work. And they do have a veteran quarterback in Sean Clifford. But I would <clears throat> I would think it is only natural to expect maybe the first couple games, and they play at Virginia Tech, I think, <clears throat> in the second week of the season. They might actually – you know, it, it, it might be a little bit challenging. The one thing, though, that I think will make it easier is, in my mind, if the, if, it's, if, if the big guys are healthy, this is easily, I think, James Franklin's best offensive line. And I think they have the line uh, and the tight end and the running backs to kind of impose their will on most of the defenses I think they're going to see this year. Um, even in that Ohio State game last year, Doug, if you remember, they weren't – Ohio's uh, Penn State's offense was really stuck in neutral for over half the game. Sean Clifford was trying to play hurt. Then he got hurt in the game. They brought in the backup who hadn't really played at all, Will Levis. And in that game, they were able to run the ball, I thought, on Ohio State. Journey Brown had some nice plays. And that was when I really sensed that the offensive line had kind of started to figure some things out. And down the stretch – they were able to continue to run the ball. They ran the ball all over Memphis, uh, even though it's, you know, that's not a big 10 defense. They're going to be able to run, I think. And they're going to be able to run on just about every, against everyone uh, on their schedule. They got three really, really talented running backs. Everyone on the offensive line has starting experience. Plus they have a couple backup players. I think that they really like, this should be a good offensive line. <clears throat> and I think Kirk Shiraka has more talent to work with, you know, all the way around on offense than he had at Minnesota. He's going to have to get Sean Clifford to become a more accurate thrower. But man, he's got, he's got, he's got an offensive line. I think that can be very good. And he's got some running backs and he's got a real unique tight end. Uh, I think probably the best tight end Penn state's had uh complete tight end Penn state's had since Kyle Brady. So we'll see how quickly it comes together, but if they can figure things out by the time the big 10 season uh, starts and they get comfortable. I, I really think this is going to be a fun offensive, to watch, a fun, excuse me, a fun offense to watch. Bob, when you think about some of the skill guys offensively that have passed through Penn State in recent years, and you think about guys like Chris Godwin, who's been yeah. great in the NFL, and Saquon Barkley, and Mike Gusecki at tight end, and mm-hmm. Miles Sanders, and KJ right. Hamler, who we remember um, just bedeviling Ohio State and other teams in the Big Ten out of the slot. Do you feel like, for instance, again, and, and I think the most interesting stuff about this is that Penn State is is – sort of like the one team in the Big Ten where for Ohio State fans, when you're talking about a certain level of talent, Penn State comes the closest to being on Ohio State's level. When you think about specifically the Penn State-Ohio State game and that matchup, and obviously that's so important to Penn State, do you feel like over the years Penn State has had good enough skill position talent on offense to compete when you, you know, the guys I just listed and other guys that – 
that that is one area where it's like, yeah, they they have the guns to try to try to take a shot at a team like Ohio State. Or do you feel like, you know what, maybe Penn State could upgrade a tiny bit mm-hmm. um, in terms of their skill position offensive guys? I'm sure they could get a little bit better, Doug. But you know, the you know, most of the time Penn State and Ohio State have played the last. You know, you want to go back the last seven, eight years, except for the 2013 game when I think I think it was 63-14, and it was every bit as bad as that. And the 2015 game <clears throat> that JT Barrett, JT Barrett, by the way, just killed Penn State every time. Every time he took the field, you know, whether it was in 2014 in the double overtime game, whether it was 2015, I don't even think he started that game. It was Cardell Jones. He came in the game, and you know. You know, they stayed with him. They won that game uh, 38-10. And then the 2017 game when he was just – that might, that had to have been one of his best games of his career, what he did in the second half of that game. Absolutely. Uh, but he, he, he just killed Penn State. For me, um, for whatever reason, Penn State has no fear of playing Ohio State. They're not intimidated. I think they're tired of hearing about how great Ohio State is. But even when – James didn't have a lot of talent on that 2014 team. They came back from that 17 nothing deficit and almost caught them in overtime. It was a real interesting game. And ever since the 2016 game, when I think Ohio State had them on the ropes 21-7 and they couldn't finish them, and uh, they were able to win that game, uh, really a, a landmark game in Franklin's uh, tenure at Penn State. You know, when I was just thinking before to get ready for this, I was, I was looking back to the last four games, 16, 17, 18, 19. And Penn State, Penn State has not been able to finish this team off. I mean, they've had them down on the ground, up big, once at home, once at Ohio State. And it's, you know, the team that's been the best in the fourth quarter has won this game. You know, and even it's, it's just, it doesn't, it's almost like it doesn't matter too much what happens in the first 45 minutes because the fourth quarter in a tight game is what it's all about you know Ohio, Penn State was clearly better in 16 in 17 it was 35 20 I think going into the fourth quarter and Ohio State took the game over same deal in 2018 uh, Doug I think it was 26 14 in the fourth quarter and Haskins kind of came of age uh, down the stretch they made some plays won the game and last year it was, I think it was 21-17 going into the fourth quarter. And even though it might not have been as, as close uh, as it appeared to be, just I thought Ohio State could have really beat them up. Uh, Ohio State just took it to them in the fourth quarter. They got an interception. They scored a touchdown. And they were able to put them away. I, uh, Penn State, I think, can play with Ohio State. But until they start making the big plays – in the fourth quarter. I don't think they're, that's what it's going to take to beat this team, right? Clemson was able to do it uh, in the, in the playoff, right? Ohio state had that got up on them and it was Clemson in the fourth quarter made the plays when they had to Penn States had could, could easily have won a couple more games against Ohio state, but it's been Ohio state who's made all the plays down the stretch. And I just kind of feel like that's probably what's going to happen again. You know, when these two teams meet uh, at Beaver stadium and, I'm not sure how crowded the stadium is going to be, and I don't know how, what kind of impact it's going to have on that game, but I expect with 10 minutes to go, you're probably not going to be able to identify the winner of this game, and it's just going to play out on the field. 
Yeah, it's remarkable to think about. Overtime and two one-point games, uh, all losses for Penn State in the last six years, uh, and then that win. I mean, it's I, – I said, as as we often on this podcast talk a lot about, obviously, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry and just what Ohio State has done to Michigan over the last 16 years, 15-1. and one. But, but like, this is what you would want, right? That this is yeah. – Ohio State-Penn State's a great rivalry, but you think about how much more of a – of a test and that Penn state's not afraid and that Penn state will go toe to toe with Ohio state. I mean, it really is sort of everything you, you would want um, from a rivalry like that. Penn state obviously would like to get over the, over the hump uh, a little more often, but um, it, they have been fantastic games. I, I do want to ask you about the whiteout on the stadium and that kind of thing, but I want to yeah. finish off the offense. One last thing mm-hmm. on the offense, Sean Clifford, you mentioned veteran quarterback coming back an Ohio yeah. kid. What's the upside for this guy? I think Ohio State fans, you saw what Trace McSorley was. And I think in a lot of ways, you talked about how JT Barrett was, was so difficult and such a Penn State killer. Um, you know, JT Barrett's not an NFL quarterback. Right. Um, Trace McSorley, I think Ohio State fans would view Trace McSorley in much the same way. Just a winner, tough guy, can run an offense. Is he a dynamic thrower of yeah. the football? No, but man, like you believe in that guy in a tough, tight game. And, and, and Trace McSorley seemed to define Penn state for his time there. Can Sean Clifford, like at his peak, bring something even more to Penn state as, is, is he kind of is, is he what he is or how right. much better could Sean Clifford be in 2020 than what we've seen so far? Yeah, he is. In, in a lot of ways, because he's the quarterback, right? Um, he's going to be a he's a, the pivotal player, I think, for Penn State. And I would say this: I do think he can be better. Um, I, you know, his his completion percentage, I think, was fifty nine percent, and that's just not you can't if you want to win and you want to beat good teams, you got to be a lot closer to mid sixties, maybe high sixties, especially especially if you're going to run an RPO and you have a good offensive line and you have a good stable of backs, there should be opportunities to throw the ball. And, you know, because defenses have to respect the running game. And I think Penn state is finally at the point where defenses are going to have to legitimately just gear up to stop the run. The running backs are that good. And I think the offensive line is now physical enough to just kind of slug it out at scrimmage and try and lean on people and just kind of wear you out. So with John Clifford, there's a couple of things I'm going to be watching for this year. He is, he is a, a just a tenacious competitor. I think he is, I think he is a little bit better thrower of the football than Trace McSorley, in my opinion. One thing I saw with Trace and that I also saw with JT Barrett, and I'm a little bit worried with Sean, is as their careers played out, the physical toll of being a running quarterback over time, whether it was in the Ohio State offense with Barrett or, you know, as Trace ran the ball, especially in 2018, it really, they, I really thought they were physically beat up and they just never really were 100%. I think Trace McSorley in 2018 ran for 800 yards. I think he carried it like 170 times. It was, you know, and he's not the biggest guy in the world. He took some shots. Um, I think in that Ohio State game, that year, he ran 25 times for 175 yards. I don't know that he was ever really the same, Doug, after that game. Because if you look down the stretch, he, he got hurt. The next week, they played Michigan State. He didn't look right at all. 
I thought JT Barrett, I think by the end of his career, I don't think he was quite, quite right physically either. Sean Clifford ran the ball, I thought, too much last year. And, you know, Kirk Scirocco was asked about that uh, on a conference call about a month ago. And he said, you know what, the, 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 the two quarterbacks we have are athletes, and I'd be crazy not to run them. But I think, in, I think Kirk is smart enough to know that they can't, he can't run Sean Clifford 15 times a game or 20 times a game. I think, you know, between six and eight, you know, uh, where, you know, you, you know, the, the runs are wide open because the defense is, you know, is just out of position and he doesn't necessarily have to take a couple of big shots. He took a lot of big shots against Ohio state. I think they got to keep him. They got to keep him healthier as a runner. The other thing that's going to be key for Sean is he's a very emotional player early in games. And he just got too keyed up. I thought in a couple of big games, especially the Minnesota game, it took him a quarter. I thought to settle down and you just can't do that against a good team. You gotta, you got, you're the leader of the offense. Everyone's kind of taking their cue from you. You can't be air mailing balls. You can't be missing wide open throws. You got it. When the, when the completion's there, you got to make the play. And if the, if the receiver drops it, Hey, that's one thing, but you can't, you can't miss an open receiver on third down or you can't, he had a couple of, uh, he had a couple of wide open throws. I thought for touchdowns down the field, he missed those. So I, I think, I, I really think he can be a lot better and I think he will be a lot better, but uh, I, I would like to see him run a little bit less and I would like to see him maybe a little bit more composed early in games. And if I think if he does that, I think if he can get to 65% in Kirk's offense, you know, I think they're going to score more points and I think they'll be in position. James talks about the four minute offense where, you know, you have the lead, whether you're up four, you're up six, whatever it is, you have the ball. The other team's got a couple of timeouts. Can you get a couple of first downs to put them to sleep? I think they have the offense that can do that against just about any defense, but he's going to have to get to 65%. So they have enough points in the bank to kind of execute that four minute offense. It's a big year for him. Um, I think he can be better, and I'm I'm really curious to see what Kirk could do with him because I thought, you know, I didn't really know much about Tanner Morgan. I had no idea that he turned him into like a big time quarterback. I think he can do the same thing with, with Sean Clifford. I just hope that maybe not having spring to work with Kirk, uh, I, I just hope that doesn't really affect them, you know, in the short term. We're we're gonna have to wait and see on that one. But I, I like the components of Penn State's offense, and I really think that. Having the big tight end, I think, will also open some things up for a young receiving core that has some talent. You just don't know. You haven't heard about these guys yet. Feels like we're all going to find out about Penn State fairly quickly. Um, at Virginia Tech week two, then the Big Ten season, the, the first four Big Ten games for Penn State, home against Northwestern, at Michigan, off week, right. Home against Iowa, home against Ohio State. So Absolutely. you're gonna figure it out. You know, all the I know Rutgers is the season ending game right now, but Rutgers, Maryland, <laughs> Indiana, Nebraska, Michigan State, that's the back <laughs> half of the schedule. Right. Um, you mentioned what it might be or might not be like for home home stadiums. And we know that there certainly is yeah. hanging over college football. Will there be no crowd? Will there be a partial crowd? I have said in passing on this podcast that I think perhaps the greatest impact if crowds are limited or not there, the greatest impact on the big 10 season might be 
Ohio State getting to go to Penn State without there being a whiteout, without there being mm. a monstrous Penn State crowd. This is a thing that everybody kind of knows, but I, I'd like to, you to dig down on it. Really, it, truly, how big is Penn State's home field advantage, do you think, when that crowd gets going yeah. nuts in that gigantic stadium? And how much of a tangible effect do you think it could have on the on Ohio State visiting Penn State if the crowd is either not there yeah. or limited? Will it make it yeah. harder for Penn State to win? I agree with you. I, I think that um, it's obviously tough to play. <clears throat> Penn, it's, it's a tough game to play at Ohio State when Penn State goes in there. Penn State's been dusted by Michigan twice the last two years out in Ann Arbor. They just haven't even really showed up. <clears throat> but be, it's not the same when you're when you're in Ann Arbor and you're at Beaver Stadium. The crowd's a little bit away from the field. It's not as loud. You know, at nighttime when they're all in white, I think you know. I, I just what I what I love about Urban Meyer's Ohio State teams is that he he would talk openly about he loved going to play uh, in the whiteout experience, and his teams I thought didn't back away from it where a lot of teams, I think it was a little bit, it could be, a, it, you could, you could, you know, th- the first 30 minutes, you know, it, it, you can't really hear, you can't really figure things out. The next thing you know, Penn state's got, is got you, they're up 14 points and it's real tough to come, come back against that defense. But Ohio state always seemed to look comfortable uh, in the whiteout games. And I thought urban really kind of set the tone with his team by saying, it's not intimidating. I can't wait to play the game. I think he always sent the right message to his team, and they always responded late in those games. And it was great to see. But a lot of teams, Doug can't do that. I feel like the whiteout experience, when they have it going against a good team, it's usually worth. I think it's it's worth seven to ten points easy, even if they're playing good teams. And sometimes it's 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 more. They're they're just great events. Um, uh, the crowds. Uh, really, really get into the games. And if, if that's, you know, it's, if that's not going to be the case, if this game that Ohio State and Penn State play, and let's just say there's 25,000 or 30,000 people there. I mean, I just think that's, that's definitely something that will, will, you know, make it a little bit easier, I would say for Ohio State. And I just think that, you know, I just wonder what does that even feel like, or what is that even going to sound like if 30,000 or 40,000 people are yelling. I mean, what is, what is it's, you know, what is it going to be sterile? I mean, what, what, what do you do there? I think it's unfortunate, but I, I mean, I, I would imagine it's going to be something close to that. I don't, I don't think you're going to see full, full stadiums <clears throat> for a little while, Doug, and it's unfortunate, but um, I would say, yes, I think that, that maybe the one game that, that the crowds, the, you know, the half, half empty stadiums, the the one game that might be impacted the most, it might be the Ohio State Penn State game because I I I do feel like I do feel like this is James Franklin's most talented team, and I do feel like getting Ohio State uh, to come back in with that defense, which I think is going to be a little bit faster than even last year's defense. I I just think that they really it was it's going to be a hell of a game either way. I believe, but I just feel like this is the year. Uh, I, I felt like this is the year Penn State might be able to finally put Ohio State away in the fourth quarter. And I say that knowing that Justin Fields is absolutely a fantastic player. He is so fun to watch. And you don't see, you don't see quarterbacks who can do all the things 
he can do at such a high level at such a young age. I have no idea, Doug, what Georgia was thinking, uh, you know, not <laughs> playing him right away. I think of, of all the things, you know, when Kirby Smart looks back on his career, that's got to be at the top of his list for, man, if I had, if I had one mulligan, that might be it. But fantastic player. Um, can't wait to see the game. But if it's if there's 40,000 or 30,000 people at the game, I just have to think that Penn State is losing something significant in playing that game, you know, in that scenario. And Ohio State has the talent, obviously. They could very easily be the, 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 the NCAA champs at the end of this year. I know they're that good, and I really am a big believer in what Justin Fields can do. So I can't wait for the game. I can't wait to see Micah Parsons, and he kind of – go at it for four quarters. I think, I really think it's, it's going to be the game of the year in the big 10. Um, if everyone stays healthy on both sides. And I, I just think that it's going to live up to its billing because it's the one thing you've been able to count count on the last couple of years is these, these two teams get after each other. And like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to know the winner of the game, you know, with about 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You think about specifically the last three trips for Ohio State to Beaver Stadium. A one-point win in 2018, a loss in 2016, and an overtime win in 2014. That's how hard it is uh, to play Penn State at home. Um, And even even the 2012 game, Braxton Miller played a fantastic game, and they were able to pull away from the Bill O'Brien Lions. I think it was 35-23, but uh, Braxton Miller made some unbelievable plays in that game, or they might have been in trouble in that one. Yeah, that was the Braxton Miller uh, goal line dance, yes. right? Where yes. that unbelievable play um, in tight. So um, th- three last big picture questions before before we let you go, Bob. Yep. Is You look at Penn State the last four years, finishing seventh in the country, eighth in the country, 17th in the country, ninth in the country, three of four years in a playoff bowl, yeah. 11 and three, 11 and two, nine and four, 11 and two. Um, is Penn State football trending a certain direction? Or is, is Penn State football still on an upswing? Is this kind of, is this it? Like a top, a consistent top 10 team? Can they go higher? What's the future? Like, I think we have a pretty good sense of what James Franklin Penn State football is about right now. Mm-hmm. Is there even another level some way, somehow, or, you know, Heck, 11 and 2 and finishing in the top 10, that's that's the second tier in college football, right? If if Ohio yeah. State, Clemson, Bama, and really it's Clemson, Bama and kind of everybody else. But if there's that tier that's competing for national championships and competing in the playoff, Penn State's not there. They haven't been in the playoff yet. They should have been in the playoff in 2016. They got screwed by the committee. But they are absolutely in the in the cut right below that. That next tier what's ahead? What does a Penn State step up look like, or is that too much to ask? No, it's not too much to ask. <clears throat> and when, when I think about <clears throat> what James has been able to do, uh, a couple things, there's two things that really stand out. Um, he is, he is um, a, he's, he's a CEO, and he's got his, his fingerprints all over the program, and I think that's a good thing. Um, he's made a conscious effort to expand Penn State's recruiting footprint on a national level, specifically going into the South. And I think it's worth mentioning that because I think that ultimately 
is going to is going to determine if Penn State can get into the playoff. How how successfully can they recruit maybe the South, uh, maybe the Southwest a little bit, but especially the South. Jaywan Sider, uh, the running backs coach, kind of has a lot of ties to the South. They were able to get Noah Kane, who's a very good running back. I think he was at IMG. I think that's that's a that's a feather in Sider's uh, cap. They have a young two young receivers who are redshirt freshmen. John Dunmore, TJ Jones uh, from Florida, four-star wideouts. I think one of those two, maybe both of them, are going to be good players at Penn State. But the the expanding the, the, the footprint and becoming a national recruiting uh, power, it's key, and they're getting better at it. And they're gonna they need to keep doing that. But ultimately, I, it, it it sounds so simple, Doug, but it, it's just really two things. They've got to be able to finish Ohio State and get to the playoff. You get to the playoff, you get the attention of the five-star recruits in your area, in your footprint, and you say, because they want to go, they want to play in the playoffs, they want to get developed, and they want to go to the NFL. What did Julian Fleming say when 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 he announced his decision to pick Ohio State over Penn State? When everyone thought he was going to go to Penn State, but Hartline went to work on him, and he took notice of, you know, the, 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 the Ohio State wide receiver group, the fact that Ohio State's always in the Big Ten title game. They're in the Big Ten playoff. They won a national championship. He, that's where he wants to go. So he goes to Ohio State. Uh, that's definitely a, a – that was a, I was a big loss for Franklin's program. But they have to be able to beat Ohio State. And the, really the biggest key, and it's obvious, is they're not really going to be, I think, positioned to do that until they can get a five-star dual-threat quarterback to come play at Penn State. Now, I think history obviously would have been different if Justin Fields had been able to stay at Penn State and honor that commitment. But, you know, he was getting a lot of – they were on him early. And he's, you know, I think the kid's from Georgia or he's from the South. And it it just didn't really make a lot of sense. He was going to get pushed. And some other schools were going to come after him. And they weren't able to secure that commitment. Had they been able to do that, you know, I think just – you look at last year, I'm pretty sure that he's the quarterback and I'm pretty sure they beat Ohio State. He was the difference in that game. So until they get the five-star quarterback, which I think if he does do that or he gets, he gets the talent that plays like a five-star quarterback, that's the next step at Penn State for James Franklin. He's been close a couple of times. I think they're always going to recruit well. But if, the, if they could have beaten Ohio State one or two times in, after the 2016 season, they might have gotten a couple of players that they didn't get. Brian Bressey's one, the kid that went to Clemson. You know, it's the five-star defensive linemen. It's the five-star quarterbacks, really, that that separate the the eleven and two teams from the guys that are in the playoffs. And that's where Penn State. I think Penn State's going to get there. They could even get there this year. But you look at the quarterback position: Justin Fields versus Sean Clifford. You know, who has the edge there? It's Ohio State. I, it's a pretty clear, distinct advantage. That's why I said I think Sean needs to get better. And I think he can get better. But how, how much can they close the gap at the quarterback position? Because ultimately, you know, Haskins in the fourth quarter in 2018, JT Barrett in the fourth quarter 2017, you know, even I would, I would even say Justin Fields in the second half of that game with his legs last year. That's really been the difference. And it's been a small difference, but it's been the difference between these two teams. And it's going to continue to play out the same way until Penn State can find a way to finish off Ohio State in the fourth quarter. Second to last one. So how do how do Penn State fans or how do Penn State players, Penn State in general, 
How do they view to Ohio, view Ohio State? Do they do they feel like Ohio State is a roadblock to them? Maybe you just already answered that, but you, you can see the thing we often talk about with Ohio State is they just not have not had the sustained downturn that you have seen some other powerhouses have, and that yeah. for instance, Texas has not been what Texas can be for a while. USC is in a downturn right now. Before Nick Saban, Alabama was in a downturn. We see Florida State. You think about what Florida State used to be. Florida State's kind of been all over the place since winning the national title in 2013. And then when that happens, other teams seize opportunities. Like, does Penn State feel like, man, I just wish, like, Ohio State would hit a lull and all of a sudden we'd be the team that was in the playoff you know, three out of five years, or do, do they hate Ohio State? Do they love the rivalry and respect it? Like what, how does Penn State look at Ohio State? I can't, I feel like Penn State fans and the program, I, I think, I think they know what the deal is. I think they respect Ohio State. I think they look forward to the game more than any other on the schedule. I think they know how good Ohio State is. I, I think they relish the fact that they're the underdog against Ohio State. Um, but I also think they would like to see the program get to the point where we're not the underdog. It's a, it's a toss-up game when we play. Um, or, we're, you know, every other year we, we, when we're at home, we're expected to win. They have, they've closed the gap <clears throat> on Ohio State clearly since James has gotten to state college, but it's just, and, and I would say they probably play Ohio state better than any other team in the big 10, uh, you know, week in and week out the last, the last four years. But I think it, I think, I think it's a very healthy hate that Penn state fans have for the Ohio state program. And it's not, it's not jealousy. It's just that, you know, we need, this is who we need to go through uh, if we want to get to the playoff. And that, I think, when that does happen, it's going to be all the more satisfying, I think, for the fan base. And then the next goal is going to be, well, we, we don't want to be in a position where we do this once every five years. We got to get to the program to the point where when Penn State and Ohio State play, it's going to be a game decided by a touchdown or less. It's going to be decided in the fourth quarter. And the winner of that game is more than likely 95% of the time going to be in the Big Ten title game, going to win the Big Ten title game and going to be in the final four. Um, and I, I think that, I think that that's how Penn state approaches Ohio state. And I think Penn state, um, I, th- I think it's more about respect and a healthy hate. It's, it's not really a jealousy and it's just, it's the they, Penn state doesn't really have, you know, a natural rival where the other team looks at Penn state, the way Penn state looks at Ohio state, you know, Ohio state's got Michigan. Penn State doesn't really have that. You know, they had it in the 70s and 80s with Pitt, but that's that's not the case anymore. So they really don't have a natural rival. So, um, but I they they look forward to the Ohio State game, and I think it, it I think it it reflects in the way they play the game. You know, it's it's we're gonna we're gonna take our best shot. We don't care if you're favored by 14 points. Um, we're not gonna lay down, and you know we got we got to learn to finish these games off. James Franklin, you said his fingerprints are all over this program. And obviously, you know, this isn't just Penn State. This is James Franklin's Penn State. Um, Penn State defined by a, a legendary coach, and we know how all that ended. But now this is – there's no doubt what Penn State is about right now. Um, the last time I think you were on this podcast, Bob, we were talking about, 
you know, sort of that stuff floating out there about could James Franklin be interested yeah. in USC or does James Franklin feel appreciated at Penn State? Right. Is he in for the long haul now, you think? Like, is this, is, is James Franklin going to be the coach at Penn State for the next 15 years? All these <laughs> things that you're describing. You know what? Maybe another coach could come in and keep it going, right? When you're a great program, oftentimes you're a great program. But we also know, we've seen it too many places, how a bad coaching hire can get you off track. So all these hopes, all these goals, all these very reasonable things that are within reach for Penn State – you know, at least some of them are tied to James Franklin being here and doing yeah. it. What's his future? Yeah. 43, no, 42 and 11, the last four years. Again, that, that sort of program changing win against Penn State in 2016. And then you look at what the Nittany Lions have been since then. Is this a guy that's going to be around for another decade? Or is it going to be every now, every couple of years will be like, oh, I don't know. He might be going somewhere else. Yeah, it's it's real hard to say <clears throat> to to say for another decade for sure. I think James now is in his late forties, I believe. Uh, he's still relatively young, I would say, by coaching standards. I think, <clears throat> obviously, motivated by the challenge of coming back uh, in state. Uh, he was from he's from suburban Philadelphia, or he played he grew up in suburban Philadelphia, played at East Stroudsburg. Knew, knew that he was taking on a big-time challenge when he got here with the sanctions and the fallout from that, scholarship limits, and, you know, it, it was going to take some time. Uh, I, I, very much motivated to be uh, – to get to, the, to, to become a national championship uh, caliber coach, win a national championship. Um, the 2016 team got close to the playoff. I'm not sure that they would have – I'm not sure what they would have done had they got in there because those are some good teams as well. But I think that James, you're right. I did, I did kind of feel like he was sending some signals last year when they were undefeated. I think it was right. That might've been right before the Minnesota game or right after the, right after the Michigan win that, you know, you know, what is it going to take to, you know, we're undefeated and, you know, there was still a little bit, there was a little bit of unrest, I think, within the program about some of the, some, some things. I can't remember what they were. You know, there was, a, I think there was a former or a Penn State alum or a former a Penn State fan who had criticized one of his players for, you know, his dreadlocks. And it was just like, you know, what, what, what are we talking about here? Do you realize, you know, how many teams have won? or have won the way we've won since the 2016 season. You know, we've won a Fiesta Bowl. We've won a Big Ten championship game. You know, we've been to the Rose Bowl. Like, what exactly is it that you guys are are looking for from me? We're, you know, we're graduating our players. By and large, if you look at Penn State, um, he he's pretty, you know, they pretty much toe the line. You don't see a lot of – there's not a lot of jerks on the team. He doesn't put up with a lot of stuff. Um, or you're not going to be at Penn State for very long. I think he runs a pretty tight ship. Um, like I said, he's he's re- he's really a hands-on guy, uh, and he know you know if you don't go to class, you're going to pay a price. He sat out a player uh, for the first half of that 2016 Ohio State game because he missed a class. Garrett Sickles, and then he turned into an All Big Ten player with the greatest 30 minutes of his life in the second half of that game. He you know he he will he will make an example of you if you if you you know he sat Micah Parsons for the first series of the Minnesota game because it was, it was some behavioral modification was what was the explanation 
You know, they lost that game by five points. He wasn't on the field for the first drive, uh, and Minnesota scored a touchdown. But So he wasn't afraid to do that. I think he does want to be at Penn State. I think he does want to get to the playoffs at Penn State. I think he wants to, you know, be in the national championship game. And I think if he does that, I think, you know, like anyone else, Doug, um, you know, you're, you're motivated by what's the next challenge. Now, maybe for him it, it will be, you know, it will be, you know, spending 15 or 20 years at Penn State. But you know what? The more success that he has, um, the more other people ha- are going to notice. And not, not, only, not only on the college level, although I'm just not sure what program, what are the step, what, how many programs are, are considered a step up over Penn State? And do you want maybe to go in, or do you want to go to another program that was once great and then try and rebuild it? Do you want to go through that again? Is that really something you want to do when you have things going your way at Penn State? And, you know, I've talked to some people and they said they wouldn't be surprised that he might, you know, even be tempted a little bit. But if he does have some success here or does get to the national championship game and win one, he might even be a little tempted maybe by the NFL um, just because he is a CEO. And, you know, that's kind of what you need to be, uh, obviously, at that level as well. I think I think he is happy at Penn State now. But I think he also just, you know, he just wants people to know that, you know, this – should not be taken for granted. You know, you look around at the Texases and the other programs, the Florida States and what's going on there, Texas A&M, what have you. You know, if you can, if you can win 10 or 11 games every year and be in, and take Ohio State into the final five minutes of the fourth quarter every year, even though you don't win, you might want to just, you know, that's not something that a lot of other schools, a lot of other coaches can do. Jim Harbaugh hasn't been able to do it. Michigan hasn't been able to do it, period. It's just not. You know, you, you just can't assume excellence every year. There's a lot that goes into it, and it's every day, 24-7, and you just can't take your foot off the gas. You gotta, he, talked to, he talked about it last year. He's constantly pushing at Penn State to get a little bit better in every, every facet of the program, not just on the, on the practice field. It's facilities upgrades. It's recruiting. It's recruiting budgets. It's academics. It's, you know, always pushing – always testing the limits because you have, you can't, you cannot get complacent because Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, they're doing the same thing. And if you, if you don't, if you don't do that, you know, there's going to be a gap again, and then it's going to be harder to kind of overcome that gap. And that is, that is, that is kind of his task. That's how he sees his job. And I just think that he wants people, the fan base to kind of be aware of all that goes into being a winning coach at Penn state. Bob Flanders, I don't know if they give out awards for best <laughs> podcast guest, but but you're in the running, my friend. That was so good. I learned so much. <laughs> I'm so – first you drive me home when I get drunk on my 21st birthday. Now you drop, uh, now you drop an, a, an hour's worth of hot Penn State knowledge on our Buckeye Talk audience. Um, I know. Tremendous, well, like you're, man. You're you're a pretty you're you are real good at leading the conversation where it needs to go. So kudos to you. I also have a funny feeling, Doug. We talked about it off the air. I think we both kind of feel like Penn State and Ohio State really feel like the two most from to me. I think in terms of talent, they might be the two. Obviously, Ohio State is. That's not duh. But I think Penn State might be number two this year, and it might there might be a little get, bit of a gap. I think we're talking about the two 
most talented programs going into 2020 if they stay healthy. And I think that this game has a chance to be pretty special this year as a result. And you might see, I think you and I might collaborate on some things maybe in the coming weeks and maybe in season as, cause the game is, as you said, not, not that late in the season. And it might, there could be, if things play out, they could both be unbeaten. It won't be easy on the Penn state side, but if that is the case, the stakes are going to be high. We might do so. Uh, we might take a little deeper look at kind of how these teams are progressing this year and stay in touch. And, you know, you can update the Penn state fans about, you know, who are the, who are the guys we need to know about and who are the breakouts this year. And I can do the same thing for you early in the season and maybe during camp. I would look forward to that. As you said, there's always a lot of ground to cover when you talk about Penn State and Ohio State football. It's such a tremendous game. Um, and to me, the way that the, the way that the two teams get after each other on the field, um, it's, very, it's just enjoyable to watch. It's, it's, you know, four and five star athletes just kind of putting, putting it on the line. You don't see a lot of players taking plays off. You, you, you just see a game that, you know, both teams are just desperate to win. And usually, usually it's going to come down to the final couple of drives. I can't wait for it. I had a great time talking with you and hopefully we'll do a couple of, we'll do a couple of series and maybe a couple of things this year to kind of even uh, make this game an even bigger deal. Cause I think it deserves it. And, and I'll tell you what, Bob, I really like the placement of this game on the schedule this year. I don't like it. I don't think it's fair to anybody in the Big Ten, like when Ohio State and Penn State play in week 11 and then Ohio State and Michigan play in week 12. But it also yeah. keeps you from giving the proper credit and build up to this Penn State, Ohio State game. This idea that like, OK, you know that Ohio State, Michigan is always going to finish the regular season and that's what should happen. But I October 24th, the seventh game of the season for both teams, I think is practically perfect. Yeah, You're, it's not so early where their teams aren't who they are yet, but right. it's right at the point. It's probably it's, it's like a little bit before the first playoff rankings come out. This right. very easily could be an undefeated versus undefeated game. It will have major national implications, but everybody, fans, media, the teams themselves, will be allowed to give this the proper weight that it should yeah. have. And so I, I you know. If, if the Big Ten said, you know what, we're going to make Ohio State, Penn State like the last Saturday in October every year or whatever, we're going to have like a mm – I'd be totally in for that. This game is scheduled for October 24th, but I think by that point, neither team will be worn down, but neither team will be sort of like trying to – you know, especially with Penn right. State with a new offensive coordinator, as you talked right. about, they'll still have the, – they'll be established by then. I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be awesome, and yes – Listeners of the podcast, we pro we have some plans to collaborate to bring you some extra coverage of this series. So, Bob, great to talk to you, um, and we shall be in touch soon, my friend. All right. Take care, Doug. We will be talking soon, and uh, stay healthy. And uh, one, of these, one of these days, I'll see you in Chicago again. Sounds good. All right. We're back on Buckeye Talk. Uh, thanks again to Bob for doing that. And I want to start – we have a couple other questions from the tech subscribers – um, that I want to get to. But here's one thing I want the three of us to consider right now, because I think this is part of the crux of what we're doing here. How possible is it, because I think anybody who just listened to that would say, yes, this is going to be a tough test for Ohio State. How possible is it for Ohio State to lose at Penn State and still make the playoff and still win 
the national title. We saw the last time, the only time Ohio State has lost in the last eight times to Penn State, Ohio State still made the playoffs. Steven, of, of course it's, it's possible. Like, how would you explain how likely it is that you could see that scenario where a one-loss Ohio State team that loses at Beaver Stadium still gets in? I think Penn State has to be undefeated coming into that game. So it's two undefeated teams who are probably in the top seven at worst because Ohio State's going to be you know, top, probably the number one team coming into that game if they're undefeated. And Penn State's undefeated, though, at worst be probably number seven. So that starts it because then that puts it in the context of who they lost to. Um, but I'm still iffy because, you know, it's maybe at that halfway point that depending on what else is going around, going on a, across the country, that's a, you have what, one, two, three, four, like five games to kind of climb your way back up into the college football playoff rankings, which I know in 2014 they did it, but that Virginia Tech loss was early in the season. So they basically had the whole year to climb their way back up. Um, so it, it kind of depends on two things. One, are both teams undefeated? But also, you know, what does everything else look like? And that kind of – it helps their cause if there's maybe – if maybe Clemson's the only undefeated team and maybe one other – Clemson and somebody else are the only two undefeated teams, and then the other two spots are probably being left up to one-loss conference champions. What's your take, Nathan? Yeah, similarly, I guess I would I would see it having to be a situation maybe where if, if Penn State is just exceeds expectations, even what I'll, what I think will be pretty big expectations, and then an undefeated Penn State in a with a competitive win over Ohio State, and now that close loss by Ohio State, they just kind of get pulled along with Penn State, and they end up being like the the two and the four, the three and the four, something like that. Um, I just but so it's possible. Do I think it? happens this year I'm I'm I don't know because I think there's going to be some similar teams with similar resumes at that point you could be looking at a one loss Florida a one loss Georgia or even a one loss Alabama if somebody else one of those other teams runs the table in the in the SEC where so let me jump in I'm going to jump in and interrupt you right there so let's say that there's some other undefeated SEC team and Alabama's a one-loss team. Do you think that those two teams would automatically be viewed in a better light than, than, let's say, an undefeated Penn State team and a one-loss Ohio State team that lost to Penn State? That the SEC version of that would just be looked at more favorably than the Big Ten version? If, if we're saying that the Alabama loss was to the other undefeated SEC team? I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess. Because that does make a difference. If, yeah. No, that makes a difference. If Alabama loses, I don't even know if they play Vanderbilt, but like if they lose at home to Vanderbilt or something like that and then win all their other games. And I think that that's going to look very different to the committee than if Ohio State's only loss is a close loss at Penn State. I think Ohio State maybe still gets in in that scenario. But if it's head to head and the losses are seen as similar, I think you always lean SEC, right? I mean, I guess, yeah. And that's sort of the point yeah. of this discussion, right? Is like, and I want to get into this a little bit because I have some answers from tech subscribers about how good you want the Big Ten to be. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to sidetrack an interesting Penn State discussion by dealing with SEC perception. But I guess you I mean, know like I, Alabama plays Alabama plays uh, Georgia at home in on September nineteenth. Mm-hmm. A game like that, I suppose, even though it would be a home loss versus a road loss, 
like if if they lose that game or they lose at LSU but then think, run the table other the games. I mean, yeah, I think it's the LSU loss that's maybe more comparable for this situation where they might lean LSU, I might mean lean SEC over Big Ten. But if it's the home loss, then I think Ohio State would get it over Alabama because at least Ohio State was on the road in a territory that we all know is a hard place to get a win. Yeah, I don't know. This probably isn't worth going down this road hypothetically because the other thing is if you lose to the good team, then you don't have the win over the good team. So sometimes it's like, well, they beat Penn State and then they had a screwy loss to somebody else, but at least it was close because we know what tripped up Ohio State with the Iowa and Purdue losses that they were viewed as blowouts. So anyway, I, I don't I don't know if that's worth I think going into much more. I don't. I don't want to go. I don't want to go long way. I do. I do just want to say though. I think it's why the Oregon game is also really mm-hmm. crucial. If Ohio State can get an Oregon win, win at Oregon early in the year, it helps that resume. Gives you a little bit of cushion, if there is any cushion to be had for that game at Penn State. Because what happened in 2016 when Penn State beat Ohio State, but then did not make the playoff when I thought they should have made the playoff, is that Penn State had two losses that year. They lost to Michigan, but they also lost to Pitt in the non-conference. And if Penn State had only had one loss, I think they might have gotten in over number four Washington or whoever it was. I think Penn State, Ohio State was three that year. And you might have had two Big Ten teams in. I actually think it's possible. I, 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 I don't think you could bank on it, but I think there is going to be we are, and I did something with the tech subscribers the other day. I mean, we all agree. Every, every ranking in the world going into this season is going to have Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State as a top three in some order. They are so viewed so far above everybody else, I think, right now, that they are going to get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And if Penn State would beat Ohio State, they would absorb some of that Ohio State respect. But if Ohio State looks good like every other week, I think it's possible that, like, you know, that's the path that all of a sudden it's like, well, who's the fourth team? If everybody knows that it's Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, unless things get screwy, who's the fourth team? And it's like, well, the screwy thing was Penn State beat Ohio State, and that's your fourth team, right? And then, like you said, if Alabama also lost or Clemson also lost, then it gets more complicated. I don't, I don't necessarily think for Ohio State fans, and again, here we are talking about this in June, I don't think if Ohio State walks out of Beaver Stadium with a loss – on October 24th, that Ohio State has to think its season is over. Because I, th- I think Penn State might be that good. And this is what I want to get to. How do you think, and there's something I want to delve into very specifically about how the playoff rankings unfolded last year with Ohio State and Penn State, because I double-checked them, and it actually I th- it wasn't what I thought it was. How do you think Penn State is viewed in college football right now? both by, you know, media, fans, broadcasters, but more importantly by the people in that playoff committee room who, like it or not, do come in with preconceived notions. Stephen, what do they think of Penn State as a program, would you imagine? Somewhere within at the – I wouldn't even say the top, maybe just in the upper echelon of that second tier of college football where they're good enough – to give the tier one teams a scare, but you know maybe don't have the talent to consistent to maybe like pull out wins against those type of teams on a consistent basis. Nathan, the idea Stephen said it probably near the top of that second tier, and again we've had enough discussions of who's in the first tier. 
do you think – I think probably it's – yes, they're definitely in that second tier. Do you, would you agree with near the top of that second tier? I, I don't think near the top of that second tier. Um, in that second tier, yes. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, we were talking about the committee. The committee, um, I know that they rank 1 through 25, but, I mean, in terms of the playoffs, the committee hasn't had to consider Penn State because they can't get to the end of a regular season with less than two losses. So I think that's also a factor here, too. Penn State hasn't gotten to the end of a regular season and really been in a playoff consideration, right? Well, they were there with the two losses. They were really close in 16. But, yes, they haven't been yeah. a one-loss team. So, right. So I think that's that plays into their national narrative a little bit, is that we focus so much on the playoff now that when you don't get into the playoff and when many years, even though you're a very solid team, if you're on the outside of the playoff, I think that is is – and you're not even getting considered for the playoff. You're not in that conversation. I think that's hurting your, whatever, your brand, your esteem, whatever. Like, I don't think you're thought of in in the same way because I think that is, we talk so much about it. We start writing about it so early in the year from a national perspective and an Ohio State perspective. And that, that frames so much of the discussion now about who the best teams are. So I think Penn State kind of needs, I think they're probably a little bit underrated nationally. And I think, at the same time, they kind of just need that breakthrough to put themselves on the same level as, I don't know, Oregon. Like, I think Oregon is still maybe still seen as ahead of them. Georgia, certainly, for a team that got into the playoff and got farther, I think they're seen as ahead of them. So until they have that similar breakthrough, I don't think they're going to get that same credibility. I think they might be viewed ahead of Oregon. And, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, if we – It's and, close. And, I think a, a texter actually has p- pointed this out a little while ago, and I have to go find it. We have so many good texts. I, I'm going to take a day. I have this story that I've been working on that's been hanging over my head. I've got to get this thing done. Um, and then I'm going to dedicate myself to it for a day to the tech subscribers and going through all the answers and getting back to people individually because um, I haven't been doing that enough lately. But somebody questioned why we, cont- why we throw Georgia into that top tier. And I think we've talked enough times that we think if there's five teams in the top tier – and there's an argument. I mean, like, you know, you could definitely say, okay, maybe the top tier really is only, maybe it's only two. And then the second tier is Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia. Or maybe the top tier is only Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma. And why would we throw Georgia in there? I throw Georgia in there and say a top five in the top tier. I'm not so. Do you, you agree with that, Stephen? I don't, I don't think I agree that Georgia should be in that top tier. Okay. I think. Just because I'm bringing – go ahead and finish your point and then – I guess here's my – so to put a, a pin on it, is it possible – I'm not so sure that Penn State isn't the sixth best program in the country. That behind those five, and those have been – I mean, unless – okay, well, let's put the defending national champion LSU Tigers who maybe are revitalized. Who knows? Maybe we'll put them six. But is Penn State seven? When we think about whoever the second best team in the Big 12 is, when we think about the, the, the best team in the Pac-12, who is it? Is it Oregon? Is it Washington? I don't know. Is Penn State better than the best team in the Pac-12? When we think of the, of the next team in the SEC, if we have three SEC teams ahead of them, would there be anybody else? Is there anybody else in the ACC? And if, and if Penn State is either the sixth or seventh best program in the country, I don't know pretty good right i think i would argue that they are viewed that way that they are the sixth or seventh best program in the country which is why i to to your point with georgia why i can't put georgia in that top tier because i just i believe that part of what what the 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 
I, guess right, I don't want to talk about Georgia. I don't want to talk about Georgia. I know. I know. That, I want to do yeah. a Georgia. We'll do a tier podcast. A tier podcast is also on my list. Um, uh, but let's keep it on Penn State. Let's keep it on Penn State. That idea, Stephen. Would you say that Georgia is ahead of Penn State, or are you arguing that maybe Penn State is as good as Georgia? I think. I think the only thing that puts Georgia ahead of Penn State right now is the fact that they've been in a playoff and gotten to a national championship game. But other than that, um, the records are pretty similar. One just happens to play in the SEC, which we just said is favor, favored in more, in more of these situations, and the other one plays in the Big Ten. So that's I think that pretty, would be – That's a pretty big thing, though, right? And maybe that's why – Yeah, ahead. I think that is why, I, why Penn State maybe doesn't have some of the same credibility that a team with a similar record from the SEC would. I think Doug's right. I think that they might be the sixth or seventh – you know, sixth best team nationally, seventh, however you want to put it. Um, I just don't think they're maybe seen that way. In fact, I think the, you know, the roadblock in the East, obviously by Ohio state. So every year on a national stage, it's Ohio state against Wisconsin. Really? I think that's what people think of as like the big, big 10 matchup. And I think if you know, college football, maybe there's a depth that, you know, beyond that, but I think there's probably a lot of people who might think that Wisconsin's the second best program in the big 10. I think they're wrong, but if you're just talking about like the national, um, consciousness of the Big Ten. I, I, I think Penn State is underrated. So let's play this game very quickly. I wasn't planning to play this game, but now I want to play it. Uh, in the six-year history of the college football playoff, there are only four teams that have made multiple appearances. Alabama and Clemson have been in five of the six years. Oklahoma has been in four of the six, and Ohio State has been in three of the six. Then there are seven teams that have been in once. So if we all agree, of course, that the four, the four teams that have been in multiple times are, are the top four programs in the country. And nobody, I don't think, would dispute that. Let's play the game. Who's the better program? This team that has been in the playoff once or Penn State? And we'll all vote on this, okay? And this will help us determine because I think anybody else that hasn't been in the playoff is not in the discussion. I think Penn State probably almost undoubtedly I mean, unless you say USC, but USC has been so down, is like the best program currently that has never been to the playoff. So here we go. Washington has been in once. Who's better, Penn State or Washington? Steven. Penn State. <coughs> Sorry, Penn State. Nathan. <coughs> Penn State. I'll say Penn State. Notre Dame has been in once. Who's better, Nathan? Oh, I, you say it and it's close, but I, I, I think I say Penn State, but I think it's close. Steven. I'm going Penn State. I don't think it's close. I'll go Penn State also. Michigan State has been in once. We all agree Penn State's better, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Florida State has been in once. Who's better, Penn State or Florida State? Steven. Now Penn State. Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Today, Penn State. Oregon has been in once, and they were in the first one. They made the first national title game and lost to Ohio State, if you remember, in 2014. Uh, have been competitive at various levels, but – who is better, Oregon or Penn State? Nathan first. I think Penn State, because of the conference that they play in, I give them more credit for having basically the same level of success that Oregon does in a better conference. I say Penn State. Steven. Penn State for the same reasons. I also agree with that. Um, and let's see. LSU, the defending national champs, um, who's better? LSU or Penn State, Stephen? 
Penn State over time, obviously LSU last season, but Penn State for the consistency that's been there. Nathan. I vote LSU. I think it's, I mean, obviously you could, we could have a whole separate podcast. I don't know. Would anyone listen to that? Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Today, 55 minutes on who's better, Penn State or LSU. (laughs) It's October. They canceled the season. Coming up on Friday, 55 minutes of who's better, Oregon or Texas A&M. If we get to that point, you guys are all allowed to stop listening. Um, I'd be very surprised if the three of us were still talking about Ohio State football and nothing else in October if there's no season at all. Oh, yeah. You'll be surprised by that? You'll be surprised. I would kind of think we might get assigned to cover something else that's going on in the world at that point. At least one of us would. I don't know about all three of us still doing it. I someone I was reading a tech subscriber today who was like I didn't think you guys could do it I didn't know how you could keep me interested doing five <laughs> five podcasts a week yeah. while nothing's going on but you've done it um I will lean LSU only because man fifteen and zero in an undefeated national championship and your quarterback wins the Heisman and is the number one pick that's pretty stinking good and is that not- the blip or is that you know like we just said because the years before that eight and four nine and four ten and three. And then they just popped up. It's like they weren't they weren't seven and six, and so um, you know, again, Penn State has won double digit games three of the last four years. They also have a nine and four season dropped in there. They don't every season they have at least two losses. Like I think it's close enough that the bonus points you get for going undefeated and winning the national championship. And while nobody is, we just said the three best teams in the country are Ohio state, Clemson, and Alabama right now, nobody is assuming LSU is going to repeat. I don't know that anyone thinks LSU is going to like fall off a table. So again, I think we could have a healthy debate. Um, I could possibly be persuaded to Penn state, but I'll say LSU for now. And so then the last one is Georgia, Um, Georgia, or Penn State, Nathan? Georgia. Steven? I mean, if we're going to use the playoff and getting to a national championship game as a bit of a tiebreaker, then I guess we have to go to Georgia. I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's, it's close. I mean, Georgia the last three years has finished fourth, seventh, and second. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty thing, like, good. You ask, like, okay, was LSU last year just a blip or whatever? Well, like, what's what's Penn State's blip? I mean, they've been pretty successful. They've been pretty strong. But, like, their blip is finishing, like, 11-2. and two. Like, that's not there, – there's people well, that are no, existing what, what, at an echelon above is, that. What I'm saying is last year for LSU was so ridiculous. But then when you look at what's surrounding it, it's just not – it's not like they went, you know, 12-1, and 12-1, and 12-1, and then all of a sudden they went 15 But and neither up. did Penn State, and Penn State doesn't have the amazing national championship. You're right. My, my, my argument was consistency of at least being at a certain level versus one year you just popped up, and all of a sudden you're the best team in college football. If, if you combined LSU and Georgia's resume, you'd have a team that everybody would agree that if, if Georgia had won the national – had had LSU season last year, we'd all say Georgia. Um, yeah. I get what Steven's saying. They were sixth. They finished sixth in the country in 18. Uh, regardless, right, what we're saying is we are now having a debate. We just said who the clear four best programs in the country are, and we just had a debate over five, six, and seven between Penn State, Georgia, and LSU. 
So Penn State's either five, six, or seven. That's pretty good. And before we started this podcast, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure everybody listening would necessarily realize that Penn State is either the fifth, sixth, or seventh best program in the country. Do you agree with that, Stephen? Like, have we have we just cracked the code? Have we blown the minds of our Buckeye Talk listeners by coming to this determination that I think is accurate? Yeah, I think so, because as I said to begin with, they're near the top. Well, okay, we just kind of put name tags on where everybody kind of belongs there. So, you know, we grouped – yeah, so I, I don't think any of us thought that they were – there's a possibility that they could be the best team in that second tier. But once you start naming schools, you know, it doesn't sound that too unrealistic. Nathan, do you think that, that what we have come to – and I, if we're not – here's the thing. When we're wrong on Buckeye Talk, we got – a bunch of several hundred people who are paying money to tell us that we're wrong. So if you disagree, texters fire away, but do you think this is a reasonable argument that Penn state's five, six or seven? I do. And I think it's, it's one that I think a lot of Ohio state fans would make too. I think they have a greater appreciation for Penn state than maybe there is nationally right now. Cause they've been, they, they know the game from a couple of years ago. They know the 2016 result. They know that 2017 and 18 were one point games. They know that this is a team that is, a program that is not that far off, even if it's just something about this matchup that brings it out of them, that's not that far off from playing at Ohio State's level. They just haven't been able to put it together for a consistent season the way Ohio State has. But I think there's a healthy respect from the Ohio State fan base right now for Penn State as a football program. So I wanted to double check on this just just as for the for the record. 2016, the year that Penn State beat Ohio State, Ohio State was the number three seed in the playoff at 11 and one. Washington, as the Pac-12 champ, was the number four seed in the playoff at 12 and one. Penn State, as the Big Ten champ, was 11 and two and was number five. And Michigan was number six that year. So the so the Big Ten had three of the top six teams. Um, if Penn State had one loss as the Big Ten champ, they would have been in the playoff, and there would have been two Big Ten teams in the playoff. So basically, like kind of a random loss in the non-conference kept Penn State out. Here's the point that I wanted to make because I, I was trying to figure out, and we're going to get to those texture questions soon about like, what is the right level of how good the Big Ten should be if you're an Ohio State fan? You want it to be competitive so that Ohio State, when it wins, is respected. You don't want it be, to be so competitive that Ohio State is constantly losing. And I was thinking to myself, oh man, like for instance, Penn State kind of blew it last year um, by losing to Minnesota a couple weeks before Penn State played Ohio State. And I thought, man, that kind of hurt Ohio State's respect for when they did then beat Penn State. And when Ohio State was in this very close battle with mostly LSU all year to be number one. And then I double-checked it, and here's what the actual reality was. And no surprise to anybody, my view of reality was skewed. Let's remember this. When the first college football rankings came out last year after week 10 of the season, I guess after week nine of the season, heading into week 10, um, there were five major undefeated teams. Baylor was also undefeated, but nobody cares about Baylor. No offense. Minnesota was undefeated, but nobody cared about Minnesota yet at that point. Those initial college football playoff rankings Ohio State was one, LSU was two, Alabama was three, Penn State was four, and Clemson was five. So undefeated of Penn State, who only had two ranked wins, they'd beaten Iowa and Michigan, and Michigan as their two ranked wins, neither particularly impressively. They won 17-12 against Iowa. They won 28-21 against Michigan. 
you know, they, they blew out Maryland. They only beat Pitt 17 to 10, but at eight and no in the first college football playoff rankings, Penn State was ranked ahead of Clemson. Does that tell you anything for the discussion we're having right now about Penn State respect? Does that fact, whether you remembered it or not, Nathan, did that tell you anything? I, I had not remembered that. It tells me that the committee had some skepticism at, about Clemson at that point in the season, too. I think that's the other thing to remember. But it, it does um, it does maybe correct what I was saying before, that maybe there is a little bit more respect from the committee, or at least there was at that point of the season for Penn State. So then here's the other point I want to make. So then the next week, they're ranked number five, and then Penn State goes out and loses to Minnesota. And they now fall to number nine in the rankings at eight and one. Okay. And so now LSU beats Alabama and LSU vaults past Ohio state in the second rankings. Now LSU is number one, Ohio state's number two, right? Third rankings, LSU's number one, Ohio state's number two. They're both um, 10 and zero, And now we are building up to this situation where we know that Ohio state wound up finishing the season against Penn state, Michigan. They sort of breezed to 10 and zero. And what happened was the win over Alabama moved LSU past Ohio State. But when Ohio State beat Penn State, even though Penn State had lost to Minnesota, when Ohio State beat Penn State, Ohio State moved ahead of LSU the next week. So beating Alabama, of course, helped LSU. But that's what I was curious about. Like my whole, a lot of times I think, wow. The, the best Big Ten teams don't get the same kind of respect, and the result is when Ohio State beats them, Ohio State doesn't get as much credit as they should. Ohio State beat Penn State and moved past LSU. Steven, does that tell you anything, that beating Penn State a year ago at home was enough to move Ohio State back to number one in the country? Uh. Or, sure. Or, am I reading yeah. too much into it? The, I mean, the, the rankings, we all say, I mean, it's 13 people in a room. Two people change their mind for no reason. Their rankings can change. But are, would you put any stock in that, that the idea that that was a respected win for Ohio State, Penn State, with one loss, had garnered enough respect that Ohio State beating them mattered, and it beat the, it mattered enough to move Ohio State back back up to number one? I think you're giving that game too much credit. I think that was more about at that point in the season, everybody believed that Ohio State on both sides of the ball was the best team in college football, and they just gotten back the most dominant player in college football. So I think it was more that this team was whole again more than it had to do with, you know, they beat a one-loss Penn State team at home. But they weren't number one. Before, you're saying having Chase Young miss two games with the suspension oh, was more yeah. of a factor. Yeah, I think that was more of a factor because it was so – at that point, we didn't know yet when, they, when those things first came out that whether or not Chase Young was going to be 4-2 or, or what it was going to be yet. So I think it was more of that than it was, you know, beating Penn State at that point. I, th- I think the committee's respect for Penn State was probably a factor there, but it's also – it's not just their head-to-head respect when you're talking about these things. It's like there's the sub-respect. So you've got teams like like Penn State had a win at Iowa. Penn State had a home win against Michigan. That uh, even though Michigan ended up with a couple losses, it was I mean both those teams are they ended up where is it uh, 14 and 16 in the in the playoff rankings last year. So both like 
top 15 kind of wins for Penn State. I think Penn State did have, even though the committee had to keep them outside of that that playoff contention bubble, especially once they got to the second loss, I think there was enough just respect for their whole resume built in that Ohio State maybe was getting some credit. And, and they talked about how razor thin that margin. So that's maybe the biggest takeaway. I thought they did a fairly good job last year, the, the playoff committee. And they were, it, because I thought they looked at it new on a week to week basis. And just because Ohio State was ahead of LSU one week and not the next, I don't think was a necessarily a big flip. It was sometimes just like you said, it was one person looking at it slightly different that one week. Yeah, I disagree with that. I, I, I think it's proof that Penn State's respected because LSU moved ahead of Ohio State because they beat Alabama. And everybody knows beating Alabama gains you respect. And Ohio State hadn't played anybody, really. I mean, they played Wisconsin, but I don't know. Like, that was by far their best win of the season to beat Penn State. And I think if the committee had not reacted to it, I think LSU beat Arkansas that week, um, that would be a sign of like, well, you know, great. Yeah, Penn State was ranked pretty high, but we still don't think they're that good. I think that that's – and having voted myself for many years, and Nathan, I know you vote now. I mean, like that's something – if you change your mind on a ranking, something has to change it. And so I thought as we talk about how good do you want the opposition to be – I thought maybe that was somewhat legitimate proof that like Penn State is exactly as good right now as as Ohio State needs them to be, which is like, you know, Ohio State still won seven of the last eight. But when they beat Penn State, it mattered in a close race to try to be number one. And as we know, being number one in the playoff or being number two mattered a lot. And the reason Ohio State fell to number two in the end is because they played a closer game with Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game than LSU did with Georgia in the SEC championship game, your conference has to help you in that battle. And I thought that was a, a nod. Looking back on that, to me, it was a nod of like, yeah, you know what? They kind of they kind of did. Penn State kind of did its job for Ohio State last year to be good enough to get them a good win, but not good enough to sort of throw a monkey wrench into their national title hopes. Um, let me get now to what we talked about briefly with the texters about how good um, you want your conference to be, right? Um, what I, I sent this out and I sent out all the records. Stephen, what do you imagine was the, it was split, it was split response and there wasn't enough of like a yes or no for me to really tally anything up. It was me more reading the responses and getting a feel for it. Would you guess more people were like, yes, I want the conference to be good for challenges or I don't want the conference to be good because I want Ohio State to kick everybody's butt. Which do you think was the more overwhelming response? I think with fans, I think the more, more overwhelming response might have – well, we're talking about these sections. I'm going to give them some credit and think they're smarter. I think they think that there does need to be one extra challenge just to help them out. Nathan, what do you think? I think – I. I think they think what they – I think status quo was fine. Yeah, I, I would say it was probably 60-40 or 70-30. Like, I want Ohio State to win every game, and I don't care how good the opposition is. I like winning. Sorry, Give me a whole conference of Rutgers. Because Clemson, right? Like, they've seen it work for Clemson. 
From the 361, I doubt Clemson is itching for a more competitive ACC. From the 630, overall Big Ten strength, Ohio State is the only thing that matters. I am an Ohio State fan, not a Big Ten fan. Please. I mean, it sure isn't hurting Clemson, is it? Um, that was definitely part of the response from the 310. I'd prefer the Big Ten devolve to the level of the ACC. Who doesn't want a virtually free pass to the playoff? Is this a trick question? The, the reason that I find this nominally interesting, and my theory on this that I have written a few times, and again, I can never remember what I say or what I write, but I'm sure I've written this along the way, is that my theory is the Big Ten is at a spot where I do think it's the second best conference behind the SEC. And to me, it's, it's a just of enough spot to mess up Ohio State at times but not have consistent enough respect to help Ohio State enough at times. Whereas maybe the SEC, every now and then you might jump up and get Bama, but then when Bama gets beaten, a lot of times, you know, the SEC, you get the benefit of the doubt. Where And then like the ACC and the Pac-12 like stink enough that there's nobody good out there. And so you just sort of have like an easier path to it. I feel like almost being the second best conference is at times – the worst of both worlds for Ohio State, although something just like the rankings reality of what happened last year, what happened after they beat Penn State would maybe dispute my own claim here. What I'm trying to explain there, Nathan, that maybe at times the Big Ten is a little bit caught in between that, yeah, I think it is pretty good, but it's also not at the SEC level. Do you think there's anything to my theory there or, as usual, Am I just blowing it out my butt? No, I, I think there's something to it. I just think, you know, I understand why fans look at it and say, they, they look at what Clemson's doing and so why you don't need your conference to be any better. I think just the difference right now is that Clemson still then goes on and wins in the playoff um, more consistently. So it, that's still the next step. I, Ohio State has to be better. That's really the bigger – if I were an Ohio State fan, I would say I want my own team to still be better than it already is and not worry about what everybody else in the conference is doing. Stephen, this texter, I think, might be on the same page that you were just saying. From the 614, having lived through the John Cooper years, I have no interest in the Michigan rivalry becoming more competitive. I would like to see a second Big Ten team become more relevant in the playoff discussion because that should help out Ohio State. In particular, it would be nice to see teams like Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin win big non-conference games early in the season. Stephen, is that kind of in line with what you were saying? I think, yeah, it is, but I'm more speaking to, I think what needs to happen is if, you know, for the sake of going the opposite way of dealing with what Clemson has to deal with, which is absolutely nothing whatsoever. I think PJ Fleck needs to make a loss to Minnesota respectable because we, you know, Penn State lost to Minnesota and, you know, it kind of took away some of that buzz that they had going into, going into that Ohio State, uh, Penn State game. If, but if Minnesota was viewed in a, you know, more, a better light, that type of loss doesn't take away any of the buzz from that type of game. So I think that a team in the Big Ten West, you know, having more respectability, not named Wisconsin because nobody wants to see that. A, like a team like Minnesota maybe being able to jump up and being a team that, you know, this is viewed in a different light than what most of the teams in the Big Ten West are viewed at right now would help Ohio State for, you know, not even if Ohio State loses to Minnesota, but 
what if a team where it's a, a game where it's clearly a buildup for Ohio State, but then, you know, that team loses to the Big Ten West team and then the week later has to play Ohio State. It doesn't take any of the buzz away from it the same way it does for some of these SEC teams where if Georgia and LSU play each other and one of them loses to the other and then plays Alabama the following week, that loss isn't, you know, necessarily – doesn't hurt them as much as it would for a Big Ten team. From the three one four, I want the Big Ten to improve. I want the Big Ten to improve, but Ohio State to still dominate. I don't see how anyone could argue what Mike Loxley is building at Maryland or what PJ Fleck is doing at Minnesota is a bad thing. The stronger the Big Ten, the less pressure on Ohio State to go perfect to get into the playoff. If the Big Ten gets stronger, we can become like the SEC and maybe get two teams in. Imagine an undefeated Penn State and a one-loss Ohio State. If it's a strong conference that has respect like the SEC, you have a better chance to get both in. That's kind of what I was saying that I don't think is like impossible for this year. And I'm a guy who a couple of years ago in the preseason picked both Ohio State and Michigan to make the playoff the same year. So, again, we've only ever seen for as much as, you know, we talk about the SEC thing. There's only been one year of the six that two SEC teams got in. Every other year, and I actually was sketching this out the other day, it's like, there's a Clemson spot. There's an Alabama spot. There's kind of like a shared Oklahoma, Ohio State spot. And then there's like the random fourth team. And the random fourth team a couple times has been the Pac-12 champ. Once it was Notre Dame. Once it was a second SEC team. But the, the way the playoff has gone has been pretty pretty clear in a lot of ways. And, and it really – it just hasn't been that common for two, any conference to get into. Here's another one from the 941. I love Ohio State dominating, but I would like the rest of the Big Ten to be more competitive so that the Big Ten record for wins versus non-conference opponents is always above 50% and preferably above 7 or 70 or 80%. This is a little bit off topic, but I thought it was interesting. From the 704, I would like everyone in the Big Ten to be more competitive, even if that means a few more losses against Michigan or anyone else. I used to watch every game of the season and be interested. The last few years have felt like Ohio State plays 10 or so Division II schools. There seems to be almost no risk every week. The games are not as fun when they are over at halftime. From the 704, Stephen, I thought that was very interesting. Like, as a sports writer who just roots for good games, that's kind of what I think. What do you think of an Ohio State fan espousing that idea that they just realistically, it maybe isn't 10 lousy games a year, but there really are about like six or seven or eight pretty stinky games of the 12 each season for the Buckeyes. I think they're Ohio State fans. I think they're in sports and they're sports fans who want the worrisome win, well, the, the non-worrisome win where you know every week you're going to win, but then some who are, one, they're a fan of their team, but also just a fan of watching a good game of whatever sport it is. I think that's where that fan is coming from. It's, yeah, I want us to win, but I also want to be entertained by what I'm watching and not be flipping through the TV guide after halftime because it's already 45 to 2. I mean, 45 to 3. Nathan, what did you think of a fan saying that? I, I, I see where they're coming from. I think, you know, especially, you know, last year's schedule, there was just some – I think, for lack of a better term, some bad luck. I mean, Ohio State, you can get to see the best version of Indiana, I don't think, for instance. So that game, I don't know if it's 52-10 to 10 every time they play or whatever the final score was. Uh, obviously, an avalanche just fell at 
Nebraska that night. I don't think they missed maybe win in the exact same fashion every single time they played that game if they were to play it 10 times. So there were some weird things that happened with the schedule. Ohio State was still clearly better than those teams. But I, I agree that it's the it's when we talk about the Big Ten needing to be better, I don't know that they need to have three or four legitimate playoff contenders every year. I don't know any conference really has that, even the SEC. But I think you've got to find a way to get these games, these Rutgers, these Maryland, which seems to be coming around, um, you know, Illinois, some of the putrid teams it's had in the last few years. Like those teams have to become more respectable. They don't have to be great, but they just have to be not seen as absolute cakewalks. From the 419, my first reaction was, yes, I'd like the conference to be better. But looking at all those Ohio State wins and the records that I sent out, I like that better. I'd be okay with better teams, but not that much better that knocks Ohio State out of the playoff picture. Here's a point that I think is valid that, again, it's like I was sort of saying, look at Ohio State beating everybody up from the 513. The Big Ten East is at the very least the second best division in college football. I think it's just fine. And that point has been made by national college analysts many times over the years. Do you guys st- think that's still true? And is that, I mean, it's like, here we go. Just because, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think Sometimes I think if Ohio State beats a team every year, that means that team is bad. And that's not probably fair. Maybe Ohio State just dominates some really good programs. Do you think that it is still a valid thing to say that the Big Ten East is the second best division in college football, Stephen? Is that, you think, is that still where it is? I think so. Yeah. I mean, we just put two teams in within like the top eight programs in the country and no Michigan isn't contending for national championships, but you know, there's still a, a quality football program. So yeah, I think so. And then what Maryland's building right now. Yeah. From the people who want domination from the five, one, three. Oh, heck no. I don't want it to be any better from the seven, four, oh, nope. Keep dominating. From the 513, I'd be happiest if they went undefeated in Big Ten play um, for the rest of time. And I get that. I get that. I enjoy when the games are interesting and close, um, but I get that. And from the 619, I thought this was a, a, a good differentiation on this. Competitive as in the other teams getting better players and coaches and making the Big Ten stronger, yeah, that would be awesome. Competitive as in Rutgers and Maryland beating Ohio State like Purdue manages to, heck no. There's nothing worse than watching a trash Purdue team that's going to go 6-6 six and six ruin Ohio State's bid for a playoff spot. That's so annoying. It is kind of weird, guys, that when we think about, again, the devastating Ohio State losses, um, they're not losing that often to the really good – they're not losing to Wisconsin. They're not losing to Michigan. They're not really losing to Penn State. They have these weird Purdue losses. They have, of course, the Iowa loss. They had that, you know, Michigan State, um, you know, in, in, in 2015, they made the playoff, but they weren't as good as Ohio State. I do understand. I would agree with that. If, if it were my team, I would rather my team lose a hard-fought game to a good team than have some rando jump up and get them. Nathan, where are you on that? Yeah, again, I think it just goes back to my point that it's it's Ohio State that needs to improve for people to get the national championship that they want. It's not really the Big Ten that has to improve. I think in those seasons, there were deficiencies that, for whatever reason, maybe didn't cost Ohio State when they played Penn State or, or Michigan or Wisconsin, but they sure cost them when they went on the road against those teams in those circumstances that we've talked about 
several times before. So I think there's still, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I, maybe this discussion is, I guess, just brings you back to this. If I'm an Ohio State fan, my number one concern probably is still that for whatever reason, and there's, with the caveat that there's plenty of, of programs, plenty of fans out there that would trade plates with them in a heartbeat, but, but that Ohio State still isn't at the level that it needs to be at as far as winning a national championship. All right, quick last break. We'll be back to talk Ohio State, Penn State recruiting and how the Nittany Lions have been stacking up there against the Buckeyes. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Again, one of the questions that I had saved from our loyal tech subscribers. You want to try it? 614-350-3315. You just send a text. You get a 14-day free trial. $3.99 a month after that. We still see people joining. We appreciate everybody who's been along for the ride for a long time, anybody who's trying it out now. And uh, you know what? If you're just listening and along for the, the audio ride, we appreciate that too. From the 734, with all the Ohio State recruiting momentum, what do you think programs such as Michigan or Penn State are feeling in terms of being able to compete with Ohio State? Is this recruiting success changing the expectations at Michigan and Penn State or simply validating the lack of consistent success against Ohio State. So we're going to kind of chop off the Michigan part of that and focus on Penn State since this is the Penn State podcast. We know that the Julian Fleming uh, recruiting battle was a very difficult one for Penn State to lose to Ohio State. But Stephen, when you look at, for instance, maybe think where things stood last year with the recruiting classes, when you look at where things stand with the 2021 class, we know Ohio State has the number one class for 2021 right now. Where's Penn State? Are they anywhere close? They are not. They're eighth in the Big Ten, and they are 20th nationally. And the big problem for that is they're not taking care of their own backyard. Ohio State has done that. Ohio, the top five players in Ohio are all coming to Ohio State, and they're all in the top 100 except for Ben Christman, who sits right outside at 104. All five are coming to Ohio State. Penn State the top five players in that state, also in the top 100. As a matter of fact, they're in the top 60. Two of the two are coming to Ohio State. They go to the same high school column, according to Marvin Harrison Jr. And then Jeremiah Trotter Jr. also goes to that same high school, St. Joseph's Prep. He's going to Clemson. And then Nolan Rucci and, and Derek Davis Jr. are still undecided. Their, Nolan Rucci's crystal balls are 50% Penn State and 38% Wisconsin, while Derek Davis Jr. is still on Ohio State's radar after if they want to add another defensive back along with but 67% towards Penn State. So right now, that's where this starts. A lot of why Ohio State's recruiting classes rank so high is because they've gone into Penn State and got a five-star quarterback, a top 100 receiver, and a top 100 receiver, while Clemson has also come in and got a top 100 inside linebacker. Penn State has not done what Ohio State has done in their recruiting class and taking care of home, which has allowed Ohio State to now go nationally and get guys like Travion Henderson and Donovan Jackson. But that started with taking care of the fact that you had five players in the top 100 in your own backyard. James Franklin didn't do that at Penn State. So Flounders and I did talk about this a little bit. It's interesting to think about sort of the chicken and the egg of they've recruited pretty well, but they probably need to recruit a little better. I mean, they do. They need to recruit a lot better to, to try to get to Ohio State's level, right? But one of the ways to help you recruiting is by beating Ohio State a few times. So, Nathan, like, I, I can see that 
a program like that could be trapped in the vortex a little bit of like, we're good. We have good players. We don't quite have good enough players to really to compete with Ohio state head to head, you know, and, and win half the time. But yet, how are we ever going to get those players if we can't prove to those players that we're on that level? Like, can you imagine that it just might be tough? It might be a tough situation for Penn State to try to figure that out on the recruiting front. I, I mean, but but the recruiting is not exactly – I mean, they're not like when we were talking last week about Iowa down in the 30s and 40s, right? I mean, this is a program I, – I went back and looked at the 24-7. They were like 20th, 15th, 12th. They were 6th in 2018. Um, now, a couple of those guys have transferred. They're, they had three five-stars in that class, and two are on their way out. But, I mean, they're, they're bringing in talent. It's just a matter of head-to-head. They're not beating Ohio State. And, again, it's not like – we're not talking about the difference between even, I would say, Ohio State and Michigan State right now. You've got a program that's right there. It's just not getting across – getting over the hump. Now, I will say, though, in terms of these head-to-head battles, Ohio State exists – consistently at an even higher level nationally, right? We're talking about a, a, a team that expects to be in the top five. If you're, I feel like if you're outside the top five from my first six months here, if Ohio State finishes outside the top five or six, whatever, nationally in recruiting, the fan base is like, hey, what, what's going on? Like they, they, they understand maybe, you know, the year of the, the coaching tradition, whatever, they're going to be blips. But I think consistently that's where they expect to, to operate. Penn State's a step down from that. And because of that, when Ohio State can go in and just take, that one guy per class, if you're taking a guy out of the backyard like you are with McCord and Harrison, you're taking um, somebody, I think, what wasn't Grant Teuton a, a flip too? Wasn't he a Penn State guy who what? flipped Ohio State? And you're talking about that's a guy who isn't like a, a, a you know, five-star guy, a, a top well, – I don't even know if he was in the top 100. But you're taking a, a guy who was probably going to play at Penn State and you're, you're flipping him and he may end up – not even being a frontline guy for Ohio State, we don't know yet. But just one those little those battles, you don't just taking one of those per year. I think helps kind of keep Penn State at arm's length. Stephen, we talk about this a lot with Michigan, and I think a lot of the same things apply to Penn State. Like, is it even worth it for Penn State to try to compare itself to Ohio State in in recruiting? Since we're talking about that right now, or is it just you know do your thing? If Ohio State comes in and steals a couple Pennsylvania kids, what the heck are you gonna do? They're one of the three best recruiting programs in the country, or do they have to try to say, hey, that's not acceptable? We think we are absolutely toe to toe with Ohio State. If they're ever gonna change it, I don't know. I I I I don't feel sympathy for those programs. I mean, every you know they're good, right? But I just don't know what the right what the right answer is. I think if you try to if you compare yourself to Ohio State all the time, you might drive yourself nuts. But if you don't compare yourself to Ohio State, how are you ever going to consistently beat them? I think there's nothing. I as far as the rankings, I don't. That's not a problem there. But if we're going to compare it to Michigan, Michigan also the top five players in Michigan are also top 100 recruits, and most and ones are already committed to Michigan, and the other ones are at least crystal balled in favor of Michigan. Penn State's not in that same place. Julian Fleming, the number one wide receiver in the country, was in your backyard, and he went to the school you can't beat. And it's not just – they're not just losing to Ohio State anymore. They're losing to Clemson as well. Like Jeremiah Trotter is another guy, top 40 guy in the country, and you're losing in the Clemson. So it's not like Ohio State is coming in and plucking, you know, the only five-star guy that's in your state. You know, they're getting top five guys in your state, and then the guys that they aren't getting – the other top programs in the country are also getting, and then it's up in the air whether you'll get any of those top 100 guys. There's nothing wrong with you being in the 20s when you're Penn State, but when you have an opportunity to get one of these high-level guys who's 
an hour away from your campus, you have to at least, you know, you have to land that guy. Last thing, and this is related to recruiting, and it's something that, that Flounder said. Um, he said the sort of like the thing, the one of the two things that Penn State has to do is get that five-star quarterback. And the question from the 813 is, do you think the Trace McSorley era was the peak of what James Franklin can do at Penn State? I don't buy into Sean Clifford hype from what I've heard. And I'm not nearly as worried about playing Penn State as I was each year that McSorley was there. I feel like he was a slightly more mobile, slightly better throwing version of JT Barrett, also smaller and not, not as tough. He was tough, but like not as thick, not as physical. That's me. And I don't think Sean Clifford can measure up. So that's from the 813, and I think that boils down to a recruiting question. Um, I think we all felt like if Ohio State had stayed, had kept getting JT Barrett type of quarterbacks, Maybe Ohio State would have plateaued to some degree. And all of a sudden, here we are, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, Kyle McCord. Trace McSorley was a winner. Trace McSorley was tough. Trace McSorley got the job done in a lot of ways. But he is not an NFL quarterback, just like J.T. Barrett wasn't. Is this compensed? Is that is that going to be what peak Penn State is? And, Stephen, A, do you think Penn State could get – a version of it's Justin Fields. And we talked about with Bob for a while that, of course, we all know Justin Fields once upon a time was originally committed to Penn State. Can they actually close the deal with a guy like that? And is that what they have to do if they are ever truly going to challenge Ohio State to be the best program in the Big Ten? Have to do? Yes, that's a simple answer because, you know, your quarterback changes everything. But let's just imagine for a second, what if Kyle McCord was staying in state? And how much that would change the next, how we would view the next three or four years of Ohio State football when, you know, it's, Ohio State football would still have C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, but they would be going, they'd be going up against a five-star quarterback at Penn State instead of, you know, maybe whoever that is going to be the quarterback after Sean, Sean Clifford is no longer there. So the answer to that is yes, they have to. Can they? I, I don't. I, I would doubt it right now. This was probably their best chance to do so with the one in their backyard. They didn't land that one. And some of that is because of Ryan Day exists now in the Big Ten and quarterbacks want to come learn from him. But I think this was a prime opportunity to do so and they didn't. So I would probably lean towards no as far as them being able to take that next step and getting their version of Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields. But I wouldn't, I'd still leave the door open because the transfer portal does exist and, you know, guys can kind of go anywhere. The thing that's hard, I think, is like we all know the reason that we see this happening at Ohio State. And Ryan Day didn't recruit Dwayne Haskins, but um, he helped maximize Dwayne Haskins. And then he brought Justin Fields in. And then he's obviously been very hands-on in recruiting the three uh, young quarterbacks who are here, one who's coming. And what happened for Ohio State was sort of like somewhat luck that, again, I think you can go back to the idea. And it's strange to think about, you know, Urban Meyer came to Ohio State and was a, a savior for the Ohio State program in many ways. James Franklin came to Penn State and in some similar ways was a savior for the Penn State program. And when you see what he's done, he hasn't won a national title there. But from where they were after Joe Paterno and Bill O'Brien helped get it turned a little bit, but Bill O'Brien was sort of like a, a crossover guy. He wasn't a long-term fix. James Franklin had to get it right, and he did. And now here we are. Joe Moorhead and Ryan Day were very similar dudes in the Big Ten. Joe Moorhead, Ryan Day, offensive coordinators. Ryan Day is offered the Mississippi State head coaching job. He turns it down. Ohio State 
throws money at him to get him to stay. Ryan Day decides that's not for him. Joe Moorhead takes that job. Joe Moorhead, as we know, and as I talked about with Bob, he, he washes out at Mississippi State. He's now the offensive coordinator at Oregon that Ohio State will see in week two. Penn State winds up with sort of like a fill-in dude, sort of like their version of Tim Beck and Ed Warner as offensive coordinator once they lose Moorhead. And now they feel like they've got a better offensive coordinator in place with Kurt Scirocco. But what happened at Ohio State is that, believe it or not, in the modern passing era, the idea that the, the offensive coordinator that they brought in, who then helped sort of reshape Ohio State quarterbacks, then wound up as the head coach, which nobody would have thought they would have wanted that. They wouldn't have wanted to lose Urban Meyer. But now when you think about the modern game and where they are, what if Urban Meyer – I mean, this is crazy, and I don't really mean this, but what if Urban Meyer was still the head coach at Ohio State and Ryan Day was the head coach at Mississippi State and Urban Meyer was recruiting Tate Martell-type quarterbacks? And what if something had happened with James Franklin at Penn State, Joe Moorhead had stayed there and been elevated to the head coach, and now their head coach was like a quarterback guru who quarterbacks wanted to come play for. Like, it's not completely far-fetched to me that, and I, 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 again, I don't actually think I mean it, that like, well, if, if it was right now in 2020 that Joe Moorhead was the Penn State coach and Urban Doesn't Meyer was the Ohio State, State coach, State like State. Ohio State would be in trouble. That, I mean, that's crazy to think about. But do you sort of understand a little bit what, I, what I'm saying when we're talking about getting quarterbacks and how important quarterbacks are right now? I think Penn State is right where Ohio State is as far as quarterback because Justin Fields still did transfer, and the relationship was with, was with Joe Moorhead. So maybe he's in a Penn State jersey in 2019 instead of an Ohio State jersey when Penn State comes to Ohio State. So I yeah, think I was about to say. I mean, it, was, it, it was, starts there. And then Kyle McCord, maybe he builds that relationship with Joe Moorhead. So once now they've got their next quarterback as an in-state guy who's a five-star replacing a five-star. I don't know. Like, I, I guess in that situation, again, I'm not going to sit here and say that Ohio State would be worse off than Penn State in that situation. But you can just see right now, right, that, you know, Dabo and Saban aren't viewed as, as quarterback whispers or anything necessarily. But, like, Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, those types of guys – those are kind of like the guys that you people are very interested in having as their head coach. And it just sort of happened that at this time in the game, that's sort of the coach that Ohio state sort of landed on. And here we are. And Penn state briefly had a quarterback guy like that and they couldn't keep him. And I think that has contributed somewhat to maybe Ohio state having this edge on Penn state um, in the last couple of years. So Nathan, last question, I'll end this with you. Do, do you see a scenario where we could get to a world where in a 10 year span, Ohio state and Penn state are five and five against each other every year. You're not sure who the better team is going to be that they're basically on equal footing. Do you, do you think from our outsider perspective of Penn state, that that is possible in any way for Penn state, or is it more likely that they will remain Ohio state's toughest challenger in the big 10, but they will still be a challenger while, for lack of a better word, Ohio State's the champ. I think the second thing you're talking about is much more likely. I think the way it could happen is if 
Ohio State if Ryan Day leaves. Um, you've we've already talked about how there are some important assistant coaches on this staff that you don't know if they're going to stick around for another five, six, eight, ten years. So in the in that scenario where kind of the infrastructure starts to become a little more unsteady, then I, I, there's an opening for Penn State. But looking at what Ohio State has right now, the nucleus that's here, just just the the guts of the program, I think there's still going to be an advantage over Penn State. All right, that'll do it for this Buckeye Talk. Steven, when you came back on Tuesday, we didn't give you a chance to, like, dive back in and tell the people what your break was like. Did you uh, did you miss Buckeye Talk, or did you just decide to give your voice and your ears a rest for a week and not think about podcasts? Um, I mean, I listened to all of them on Sunday just because I was just kind of sitting around. And, you listened to all of them in one day? You binged us? I did. I binged. Did I you binged. wind up in the emergency room? I don't know if that's recommended health-wise no, to listen so to five in a it's day. It's like something out of a clockwork orange. No, okay, so the key to it is you got to do something while you're listening or you'll drive yourself insane because we never stick to the time limits that we set for ourselves. So I kind of cleaned up my you know, bathroom and stuff a little bit um, while I was doing it. So it was, just, it was more background noise, and I kind of looked up whenever somebody said anything ridiculous, but for the most part, it was pretty quality. My week was... I, I had a week of adulting. That's what I, I told our bosses. Um, I got my car. I gave my car basically a physical and, you know, finally put some real plates in my car. But, yeah, I had a pretty quality week off until Sunday when I binge watched all the episodes. Binge listened to all the episodes. Wow. Buckeye talk, you'll drive yourself insane is also uh, in the, one of yeah. the leaders in the clubhouse for T-shirt slogans. Um, all right, we're going to do rapid fire again Thursday. We know you guys like that. We hope you enjoyed this Penn State podcast. I can't even remember who next week is on the schedule list, but we'll tell you. Um, it'll be midweek sometime next week, but we'll come back Thursday with rapid fire. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, I asked people for podcast reviews, and I think I saw three fresh new five-star reviews. Um, in that feed. So very grateful to anyone who is dropping a review in there. Thanks as always for that. Again, try the texts 614-350-3315. And thank you for listening again. If you don't know it by now, five stinking days a week. Uh, and Stephen means his ears can attest to that five a week. Buckeye talk. We always appreciate you guys joining us. So that's our Penn state preview. Thanks to Bob Flounders for his time. Always great to talk to Bob uh, on behalf of Nathan and Stephen. I'm Doug and that, was Buckeye Talk.